All right, we're going to be reading an article from A.A. Grapevine, September 1972. It cost 35 cents for the... Uh, for the article way back then, and it's, uh, I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there, and for that, I am responsible. Carrying the message, AAs all over the world share their thoughts with the grapevine, and AA General Service Office writes, P.O. Box 1980, New York, New York. The Uses of Pain. This is our article, The Uses of Pain, from Brighton, Colorado. In my drinking days, I actually welcomed my pain. Ah, yes, each throb of my aching skull, those fantastic thirsts, the stomach cramps, the sweats, the tremors, my hair hurt, my toenails hurt, my eyes and my teeth hurt. What didn't? Yet, as time passed, the physical hangovers and the physical torture no longer blotted out my mental anguish, my guilt, and my self-loathing. Insanity was no longer just a probability, but a cer- certainty. I could not retain a thought or idea longer than one sentence. I could not remember what I had done, had not done, or should do drinking or not, those paranoid ideas of being persecuted, talked about, censored, and shunned seem absolutely true. I actually fancied I was more sane drinking than when I was hungover. Weren't people nicer? Wasn't I wittier and my conversation more inspiring? Then, the morning after, I realized I was nuttier than a warehouse full of goobers. A glimmer of sanity must have remained, because I did face this observation openly. I also realized I could do nothing about it by myself. I had tried, prayed, pray, not me, but I do remember thinking, my God, what am I going to do? And while I was sanely loaded, I dialed AA. I like to think that in my agony, unsound of mind as I was, I called out for help in spite of myself. I got out of my own way. And so God was able to send an angel from AA to help me. Of course, I find it hurts now to fall down sober, but I don't feel guilty about that pain anymore. MU, initials MU. Wonderful, wonderful, terrific re- uh, reading, writing, uh, truth. Uh, reality. Our next letter is from DS, initials DS from Winewook, Oklahoma. It says good credit risk. My credit has never been good, but it's better than it was three years ago. The grapevine is an inspiration to me. The extra four copies I buy to give away. I'm 32 years old and have a paper route. My day starts at 4.30 each morning and ends at 10.30 at night. I go to college. 
commute 100 miles per day, five days a week, and spend my off time with my the wife and the five kids and cat and geese and horses and calves and cows and guinea pigs and my garden, then I get to go around the state when, I, when asked and participate in AA groups, and I also have a couple of babies. Now I have you all. I have God in AA. Please trust me. Remember, this is a letter sent to the grapevine. And don't, please don't stop my grapevine. You'll get paid. I just spent 475 for my car engine. Just had to come first this time. I'm sorry. P.S. I need the last yellow grapevines. Five copies, please. From DS. Wow. I always say that there's a lot of uh, living legends in AA. You hear about them. We have uh, Raquel, a Hispanic lady that has two or three uh, halfway house for pregnant girls to get them off the street. She's an AA and she's like, like a normal person. Shares, laughs, and, and uh, is in meetings. I didn't know that about her. Another guy, uh, Carl M., uh, a former Navy guy. They, the, a lot of guys hate him, and a lot of guys love him. Uh, he's a living legend to me. Anyone that that helps other people and takes the risk and puts his has the guts to put his his signature on the thing and have a a very risky place where people kill themselves, kill others, and helping them out to stay and confronts them. That's a living legend to me. To do to do what needs to be done. Other people that I met that uh, has started uh, great projects. How about a, a retirement compound up, up in uh, Joshua Tree for OAAers that can't afford it? Get them off the street. Give them some good. Come on now. A lot we can do anonymously, and we do. There's. Three million of us that are AA members, the state's over, and about 15 million of us have come and gone through AA and have gotten their heads straight and doing other things like yoga, reading, um, you know, just like uh, binge drinkers that have waken up and done great things. Okay, our next story is, was I strong enough? This one's from Manhattan, New York. The initials are D-O-C. Remember, this is 1972. Was I strong enough? Four months after discovering the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous in the New Jersey Shore area, I was transferred to a small station in North Africa. I left with mixed emotions, to say the least. The compulsion to drink had been left outside the doors of my first AA meeting, but... Was I strong enough to leave the mainstream of AA and be able to continue this daily success that had immediately transformed my life into such a wonderful experience? Like on other overseas tours, would my first official act be the purchase of as much almost free booze as my ration card would allow, starting the descent towards the end of the assignment? 
I sincerely felt that I had learned enough about my disease and the people in AA had gone, done a thorough enough job of intro, intro, indoctrinating me that I would be able to resist temptation. I believe in the teachings of AA with an honesty and sincerity I thought I was no longer capable of understanding, let alone possessing. Since my arrival six months ago, the desire had been periodically surfacing, but their immediate dismissal is a snap and indeed a pure joy. This, I am sure, is due to the increasing number of 24 periods of sobriety. I was strong enough and I am getting stronger. AA is my strength. My life here has surpassed the most optimistic expectations. There were a couple of the old gang here, and they are still amazed by what they see or don't see happening. The fact that my reputation had preceded me became apparent, and it was certainly a pleasure to see. The skeptical expressions of those around me changed to manifestations of trust and confidence. There is an AA loner here, and he's a real winner with many years of sobriety, and he provides the mature leadership so important to those of us that are new in AA. I try to follow the steps of sobriety that he has so greatly revered, because I know that my strengthening sobriety will, in turn, strengthen this. This loner and the letters I receive from my AA sponsor is the good old USA put me back in, into AA at its strongest. I truly miss all the wonderful AAs that share their experience, strength, and hope with me and made all this possible. I know that the best way for me to thank them and help myself is to stay away from the first drink. Thanks, everyone. DOC. Staying away from the first drink. Beautiful, wonderful. Our other story is from Richie C. from Walpole, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Second time around, called. There were many people in the program who told me that if I went out of prison and picked up a drink, things would get worse. I had reservations about this. Within three weeks after I was paroled from the state prison, I had picked up that fatal first drink. For about two weeks, everything was fine. Then it happened. Things got worse. I experienced two blackouts and had a parole violation warrant. And my sister asked me to leave the home she had provided for me. So there I stood in a blizzard. No home, no clothes, no money. Thinking, wouldn't it be grand if it were summertime? At least then I could sleep in the park. I ran into a friend and I stayed at his place. There I... I start, started in on drugs, and finally I got arrested. I was brought back to prison and have been here almost nine months. The first thing I did was get back in the program. My first time around, I had learned an awful lot about AA, but now I have to apply it to myself. I've been very successful thus far in clearing up the things inside me that barred me from success in AA on the streets. Hate, hidden resentment, etc. Now I feel the kind of sobriety some of the old timers have. Peace of mind, sobriety. Life is much sweeter, even though I am in prison 
the second time around. Richie C., thank you, thank you, thank you, Richie. Outstanding literature writing. Thank you so much. I'm sure he's out now and, and doing the deal, making coffee at meetings. Our next story is called Sowing and Reaping from Media, Pennsylvania. Today I can face daily problems with faith, no doubt. Needs can be met instead of existing to intimidate me or harass me. Many a need that I mark unmeetable has since then been met. Problems are real, challenges, they do exist. When one gets solved, another follows. But I don't have to withdraw from living problems anymore. I don't have to drink anymore. At last, I have stopped running. Many rewards have come to me through AA Living, one day at a time. I learned there is nothing so terrible that I can't cope with for one day. Reality with clarity is glorious. One of my greatest rewards is my husband has had 18 months of sobriety because of the AA program. Our life together is beautiful. Everyday living is a challenge, and I like it. It isn't easy, but I like it. To me, AA is like sowing and reaping. My higher power multiplies what I give, like the farmer who plants seed in order not to harvest weeds. I find that the seeds multiply to a far greater return than the amount planted. I strongly believe that only what I give to AA can my higher power multiply for me. Woohoo! What a story. This is from BJA. Hit it out of the park. Awesome. Why do I have to talk? I can continue to read these and, and we all can get blessed by passing the message. That's what the article, the whole gamut is about. It's carrying the message. Not the mess, the message. All right, we got two more stories. Thank you for hanging in there, hanging tough, hang tough with me. The real side benefits. This is from Norwood, Ohio, RS initials. I have been in this wonderful program for six months. I have tried to stick with the winners and work the program the way they suggest. So far, with the grace of God, it's kept me sober. When I came into the program, I used AA as my higher power. Right away, I was looking for all of the side benefits, such as a new, as a new car, maybe a new home. Lots of money, of course, in the bank. I didn't realize at the time that all these were just material things. It took my seven-year-old daughter to show me what the side benefits were really like, the kind that you can't buy that comes from the heart and the love that comes with them. These are the things that a check can buy no matter how many numbers you put on it. She had also helped me find my true higher power, which I call God. There is no way in the world I can put into words the way she did this. So I am closing a letter she wrote to AA, and this letter tells the way I feel too. R.S. And the kid writes, To AA, I love AA. It helped my dad very much from Tamela. Tamela. 
That's it. Amen. And our last note here is making full use of time from Jacksonville, Florida. BHC. Anyway, that's a, a wonderful writing about the things, the benefits of AA. One of the benefits that I benefit from, or the main benefit, was laughter and humor in AA. And I had assault, uh, acid, and, uh, and, and coming out of the side of my eyes my first year of AA because the roaring laughter was my new medicine in AA. Thanks to all the guys that creatively talked about their es- escapades. And I literally, I sounded like I was roaring on the floor, but it was good. It was really good. Thank you, God, for giving me exactly what I needed. Our next story is from Jacksonville, Florida, Making Full Use of Time by BHC Initials. Life can be full of meaning because of the way in which I spend this time. So I try to be tolerant now, to be forgiving now, to be happy now. Let's go over that list again. Life can be full of meaning because of the way in which I spend this time. So I try to be tolerant now, to be forgiving now, to be happier, happy now. I must be interested in having not my own way, but the best way, the good way. I must budget my time so that I may walk from night into day. This I can do by being of service to others, by doing things for others, and in fact, by living each day to the fullest. BHC. Wonderful, beautiful. Our article is called Carrying the Message, 1972 Grapevine, September. Hit it out of the park. Thank you, Grapevine. I have a story. Uh, it's really an interesting story. There was a 1967 copy of A.A. Grapevine. I picked up that grapevine in East Yolo Fellowship in West Sacramento where they had, somebody had turned in hundreds of grapevines, their whole collection from the 50s all the way to the uh, 90s or something like that. It had an incredible amount of, and they, uh, I grabbed a couple and one of them was a 1967 September article. And I drove down two hours down to Tracy uh, area Tracy, California, by Brentwood and Antioch, Pittsburgh, California, off of Highway 4. I was in an AA meeting and I was sharing and I was using the copy how I I found an article in there that I loved and enjoyed very much and I was waving it around and a guy in a motorcycle asked me for the, for the copy. He wanted my 1967 great September and I said, sure, good guy. He was in service. You know, there's plenty of articles here, plenty of, uh, if you want it, plenty of reading material. I gave it to him. Now, this is a true story, guys. You're going to think I'm lying. 
I went to another hour and three quarters further south to Highway 99 to Turlock, California and seven in the morning uh, by Delhi, where my son has a house that AA helped me get the job and, and, and I helped my son get the job and God got him a job. And he's there 20, 25 years later and he bought a house and the whole bit and four kids. I stayed overnight, but in the morning I got up and I went to the AA local meeting. And I'm sitting there at the desk and there's a few grapevines on the table. You know, some were upside down. So I put my finger and said, I'm going to get the bottom one of this grapevine. You guessed it, folks. September 1967 grapevine. Now, that is too much of a coincidence. As a matter of fact, I, I have it in my library here, which I have about 100 grapevines. So I'll have to find it and read you the whole gamut so I won't miss out on anything. Let's pray. Third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power of thy love, of thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. And God's will for me is to carry the message. Thank you very much. This incident for me happened uh, within the last six, seven years. Uh, thank you. And it's 2021 right now. <laughs> right now. Not later. Right now. AA dot AA grapevine Cal listen to Cal please this is YouTube AA grapevine YouTube my name is Cal and I'm an alcoholic I'm from Eagle Idaho and uh, in about a month I'll have four years of recovery uh, and when I think about what I wanted to share today with the grapevine I thought about uh, how my wife and I were like dance partners in this disease and how we danced our way into hell. Um, and these days we're dancing our way out. And it's just been a really great experience to do this um, with my wife. You know, so often it doesn't work out that the marriage stays together, but we, we really... Um, I think about dance partners. I think about how fast uh, a good dance partner can go across the dance floor, how fast and how much distance they can cover in a short amount of time. And it seemed like uh, with this disease, uh, both with the family disease and with alcoholism, we, we just danced very, very quickly together. Um, so uh, about five years ago, um, after many times my wife begged me to stop drinking um, and me coming up with all the reasons why I couldn't stop, shouldn't stop, um, wasn't right for me to stop, um, my drinking just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, for some reason she ended up at Al-Anon. And uh, so, you know, she goes to Al-Anon and she starts working these 12 steps and she starts becoming genuinely happy, joyous, 
and free. Um, I've been a spiritual seeker all my life. Unfortunately, I turned spirituality into just another drink. I was always looking to get high. And, uh, and I, I missed the whole point of some of the spiritual practices that I did. But I noticed it, and I saw it in her, and it was like, oh, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. And in fact, that's what I was looking for when I drank. And she had genuine, happy, joyous, and free from working these steps in Alma. And then we shared a speaker tape together on a, on a vacation, and, uh, and the woman said, uh, uh, the speaker, that... Um, no, actually, it was a gentleman who said his wife was in Al-Anon, and, you know, if you're in Al-Anon, it's not uncommon to go out to dinner and have a glass of wine, maybe a glass and a half. And I thought, oh, my God, I could go to Al-Anon, work the 12 steps, become happy, joyous, and free, which is all I ever really wanted, and I could still drink. I mean, I could have a glass of wine. I, I think I I mean, I never had before, but I could. I mean, for happy, joyous, and free, surely I could control my drinking this time. So I started going to Alan and, and um, uh, looking for a sponsor. And I was very serious. I thought the rooms of AA would empty out, and the rooms of Alan would just burst wide open when it finally the secret got out that you could still drink and do the 12 steps in Al-Anon. I, I just really thought, I, I was the smartest person in the world. I discovered what everybody else had missed. I was like, oh my God. And so, um, anyway, uh, the truth of the matter is that didn't work. But I got into the rooms of Al-Anon, and for the first time in my life, instead of being around these rooms, I chose to be in these rooms. And I remember the first time I started working the steps, I basically was walking down a trail and just saying to myself, I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. And I just said that like a mantra over and over and over. And all of a sudden, it, it morphed into I'm powerless over my body. I'm powerless over the sun coming up. I'm powerless over how much money I make. I'm powerless over my marriage. I'm powerless over our children. And all of a sudden, something happened. And... I, I looked up um, towards the White Cloud Mountains there in Idaho, and I, I, I felt like if I'm not in control of everything, then something else is. And whatever that is, and maybe I felt the presence, but I just said, you can have it. I, I let go. And, and, I surrendered. And so it wasn't just the first step. It was the first, second, and third step. Or like the, like the, the legs of a stool. All three legs came together into this platform that I could stand on with stability. And it was almost like heaven caved in on me that day. And since then, my wife and I have been dancing together in recovery very similar to how we dance together in, in, uh, in this disease, but it's, 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 it's on the basis of happy, joyous, and free, and on a spiritual life. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm shifting in these last four years from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. And, and I, I used to have drunk dreams all the time when I quit drinking, 
recently I started having dreams with my higher power. I mean, playful, joyful, fun dreams with my higher power. Like, like I, I would hear people talk about being their best friend uh, with their higher power. I, I'm having those dreams with them. So we are having the best marriage that both of us had never dreamed and hoped for, but never really thought we could have. And um, and our children are starting to come into recovery from from drug and alcohol abuse, and um, so it really has been a family recovery. And uh, so I, I I would say um, this really has been a dance, and it, and it's uh, I I can't thank Alanon and AA enough for saving our marriage and our lives and our children's lives. So thank you very much. By popular demand, by Kimberly, we're going to start reading uh, the stories in the back, okay? Oh, we're going to start today? Yep, we're going to take page okay. 452, <clears throat> let's e each one take a, let's each one take a page, okay? More or less a page, a few paragraphs, at least two or three paragraphs. Uh, okay. Let me, let's open up with a serenity prayer and then the set-aside prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The set-aside prayer. Lord, I set aside everything I think I know about you, about myself, about my fellow man for a fresh revelation in you, Lord, and my fellow man and on these steps in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> Safe Haven to Big Book Reading, page 452. This AA found that the process of discovering who he really was began with knowing who he didn't want to be. Prison, prison was a wonderful life, it is. Here I am, sitting in a cell, waiting for my hot pot to heat up so I can have a cup of instant coffee and reminisce. As I ponder my current circumstance, I reflect on the undeniable fact that I am well into my fourth year of incarceration. Somebody has their radio on or something. Can you mute? Yeah, you got to... Does somebody have a, a double? Uh, you know, I, I don't think this is going to work just yet, man. What do you guys think? Go ahead. Okay. Okay, sounds better now. I am well into my fourth year of incarceration. I still wake up sometimes morning wishing it were all a bad dream. I didn't grow up in a home that used alcohol, but when I took my first drink, at the age of 13, I knew I would drink again. Being raised in a home founded on high moral standards didn't seem to instill any fear or consequences. Once I took a drink, a boost, sometimes as I rode my bicycle around the neighborhood, I would spy a grown-up in a yard drinking beer. 
Returning later, when I knew he was not at home, I would break into his home to steal the golden beverage from the refrigerator. Uh, go ahead, Dermot. Okay. Yeah, we need to get everyone's uh, speakers off till uh, they're ready to speak. Okay. Uh, did you hear that? We got to turn off your speakers until you're you're chosen to speak. Okay, I'm going to turn my speaker off. This is the next page? Yeah. Uh, I recall too well, page 452. As I recall too, on page 452? Yeah. Right. <laughs> As I, re I, I recall too well in the morning, is still echoing there? Is this everybody speaker off? Hey, go ahead and mute. Everybody mute yourself. Uh, please mute yourself. So let's see what happens. Everybody mute yourself. To, to, I think it's coming from Rick's. Rick, you got... Rick, can you mute yourself, please? Yeah, just just go ahead and mute yourself. See what happens. Okay, we're all muted. That's it. My turns a wee bit quieter. Uh, I recall too well in the morning when another guy. Is that where I'm at? Yes. When another guy. And I stole my dad's credit card and pickup truck so we could run off to California too because movie stars, we had a pistol so we could rob stores when the time came to stock up on beer, cash and cigarettes. Before that, before the day of travel was over, however, I told my friend I wouldn't go on any longer and needed to return home. I knew my mum and dad were climbing the walls with worry when I my friend refused to turn back. So I let him off so I let him out of the truck. I never saw him again. My parents may have recognized my behaviour as some serious adolescent rebellion, but they had an idea It was fueled by the disease of alcoholism. At age 16, I got a part-time job as a disc jockey for a local radio station. Those in a position to know observed that I had a knack for this kind of work. So I dropped out of high school and started spinning records full-time. Drinking and partying went hand in hand with this job. Soon a pattern began that lasted for many years. When the alcoholism became obvious to my employers and began to affect my job performance, I would simply resign and seek employment with another broadcasting company. Plus, Go ahead, Rick. You gotta unmute yourself. 
Where am I? I, I, I recall. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay, I recall yes. one day. I was, I was doing a midday show. I realized I could not go go any other minute without a drink, but I put my on. Um, I put on an album and I quietly walked out on the radio station and unnoticed. I drove my car to the liquor store. I bought myself a bottle of whiskey and got back in my car. Turned on the radio and started drinking as I saw that there was listening along to a song after a song. The album eventually was came to an end, and all I could hear was the needle scratching against the turntable. Some someone at the uh, station finally realized I was I was no longer in control of the room and put it as another record. <clears throat> During my years as the broadcast industry, I worked for uh, from time to time to a radio station uh, chaser. It was my jo- job to uh, use radar information in the following storms and quiet uh, spot tornadoes. Hail, flooding, and storm-related uh, uh, hazards or, or, or damage was the, when I, when I could, when I, when I, when I would, I would then use a cellular phone, cellular phone, um, by my vehicle and give li- uh, live reports over the radio while I was chasing the storm. One night the storm was extremely turbulent and I was listening to the audience uh, was larger than ever. I began to, I gave my life report sounding as if there were, I, I were on the front lines of the war zone. How's that? Kimberly? Okay. Following day, a newspaper honored our station with a nice article about the professional job we did on weather coverage. What no one knew was that all of those professional storm reports were called in from the safety of my back patio as I ad-libbed a little better with each fresh glass of bourbon and cola. Periodically, I worked as a broadcast journalist and reported many news stories on location. I regularly drank on the job and was frequently loaded when calls came in about alcohol-related automobile accidents. There I was with microphone in one hand and flask in the other as I jumped into the news van and rushed to the scene of an accident, just as drunk or more so than the one who caused it. It was inevitable that I would one day become the news rather than just report it by causing a serious accident as a result of my drinking. I had experienced run-ins with the law several times for not paying fines, public intoxication, fighting, and driving while intoxicated. But nothing could compare with the time the police asked me to come downtown for questioning concerning a murder. I had been drinking the night before and had gotten involved in a dangerous accident. I knew I hadn't committed a murder 
but here I was being considered a prime suspect. An hour or two into questioning, it was determined that I had not committed the crime and I was released. This was quite enough to get my full attention, though. Go ahead, Fernando. I went home and called a friend I had seen at the local mall a week earlier. I hadn't talked to her for a couple of years, but I had noticed how different she looked and behaved. As we spoke, she, did, she said she hadn't had a drink for over a year. She told me about a group of friends who were helping her stay sober. I lied to her and claimed I hadn't had a drink myself for some quite time. I don't think she believed me, but she gave me her phone number and I encouraged me to call it if I would like to meet her friends. Later, when I worked up the nerve to call her, I admitted that I had a drinking problem and wanted to stop. She picked me up and took me to my first AA meeting. In Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew I had found a protective haven. But during the ensuing four and a half years, I fell into the category known in AA parlance as a chronic slipper. I might get a good six months of sobriety under my belt, but then I would go get a bottle to celebrate. I did all these things that were suggested for me not to do. Within my first year running AA, I made some major decisions like getting married, renting the most expensive apartment I could find, not using my sponsor, avoiding the steps, hanging around old haunts with my old drinking pals, and talking more than listening during meetings. In short, I wasn't responding to the miracle of AA. My disease progressed, and I became a regular patient in detox hospitals, intensive care units, and treatment centers. Permanent insanity was drawing near, and the gates of death were in view. There is a saying that alcoholics either get sobered up, locked up, or covered up. Since I was not generally willing to do what it took to get sober up, I had the other options to face. I never dreamed it would happen so quickly. Pass. Who was first? Dermot. Oh, Dermot. Yeah, uh, it was on muted there, but or uh, muted, but I lost the page there. Where what? Four fifty-six. It was a, six at the top. It says it was a beautiful September. Yeah, I got it. It was a beautiful September weekend just before Labor Day. I made the decision to buy a case of beer and a bottle of wine. Later in the evening, I drank whiskey on top of the beer and wine, blacked out, committed a drunken crime, was arrested, and within 10 days was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Wow. I guess an alcoholic death can come in much the same way. I drink, I black out, I die. At least with prison, I would have another chance at life somewhere down the line. I can't start to describe the forced humility that is placed upon an alcoholic who comes to prison. Although I deserve to be in prison, the trauma was horrible. The only encouragement and hope I was able to find was from reading the personal stories in the back of a tattered big book I found in my cell. Then one day I heard something that was music to my ears. 
A correctional officer announced that AA, an AA meeting was to be held at the chapel. When I walked into the meeting, I took a seat in the circle of chairs where I once again found a protective haven. As I pen this story, three and a half years have passed since that meeting in the chapel. I have moved to a larger prison unit and have remained very active in the awesome program of Alcoholics Anonymous. AA has accomplished so many things in my life today. It has given me my sanity and all-round sense of balance. Now willing to listen and take suggestions, I have found that the process of discovering who I really am begins with knowing who I really don't want to be. And although the disease of alcoholism inside of me is like gravity just waiting to pull me down, AA and the 12 steps are like the power that causes an airplane to become airborne. It only works when the pilot is doing the right things to make it work. So as I have worked the program, I have grown emotionally and intellectually I not only have the peace with God, I have the peace, the peace of God through an act of God consciousness. I have not only recovered from alcoholism, I have become whole in person, body, spirit, and soul. Awesome. I have one God thing after another happens uh, to me since submitting myself to a principles of a, a trial uh, official. Officials who can uh, convict me and and the victims of my crime have all decided that support my early release from prison. Was this coincidence? Coincidence. Coincidence. Thank you. (laughs) Coincidence. I think not. I've been receiving. Letters from the former employers who have uh, heard of my sobriety and have been offered me uh, employment again in the radio industry. These are just samples of God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. One of the things I have committed to do is return to God's grace and is to immediately become active in the Correctional community upon uh, my release, bringing the AA message back to the jails and prison, and as an act ex- extremely important to me, and I will know my own sobriety today. From this experience, I have realized that I cannot go back and make another brand new start, but through AA, I have can start from from now and make. Make it all brand new and end. Yes. Yay, that's it. We did it. Thank you very much, family. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, well, let's go ahead and go around and touch bases on what we uh, we gleaned from this story. Thank you, guys. Uh, I like that uh, that page on top of 457 where it says, I not only have peace with God, I have the peace of of God through an active God conscience. I have not only recovered from alcoholism, I have become whole in person, body, spirit, and soul. Okay, that's what I got out of it. Uh, I had 
one God thing after another happened. Remarkable things are happening because we're continually are asking God to uh, to do that for us. Um, something good is about to happen today. Um, I just feel it. <laughs> okay, I pass. All right, let's go down the line. Dermot. Yeah, it was just good to hear the story about going to prison and all that there and uh, just uh, the unmanageable life, you know, that led him to prison and all that stuff. I can identify with all that, you know. I've, that was me in my younger days. But uh, I've, uh, thank God with the program, I've managed to, even though I've been a wee bit uh, ill, you know, getting sober, you know, but I've managed to keep out of trouble. I have been in prison a few times for fines and things like that, you know, since I got sober. But I've kept out of trouble and, I've, and people have been really pushing my buttons and trying to test me through the years. But with the help of God, I just prayed my way through all that, you know. I wouldn't let, it, wouldn't let my mind think, you know, just what anybody else was doing. I just prayed, you know, and I wouldn't let my mind think about it at all. But, uh, yeah, today I'm just I'm feeling okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just... I'm, people, this good fellowship, and uh, I'm just beginning to learn, you know, what my disease is all about, you know, and uh, for me, that's good, you know, but I've got plenty of fears inside me, you know, of, of all sorts of fears going on inside me, you know, but uh, I know that I have to just start getting busier, and uh, I've, I've made loads of job applications, I've got plenty of job offers there over this last couple of days, but I've decided to go for my taxi license and start my own taxi. There's a crew here going to let uh, let me rent a car off them and work for them. It's good enough wages every week and all, and uh, it sounds great. You know, I've been on to the council, and it sounds as if I have no problem getting a taxi license down here. So that's been my biggest problem, you know. I need something to do, you know. I need, need to get a bit of self-worth, you know, and buy, buy some nice new clothes, uh, start saving some money up, have a bit of financial security instead of topping my fucking neighbours for 20 quid, you know. It's not a good it's not of a good position when you're doing that shit after 18 years in AA. But that's just me with my unmanageable life, you know. And I'm getting lost in recovery and not being able to understand it. But uh, I won't talk too much. I'll just leave it there. It's good to be here. It's good to hear that reading, and I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Go ahead, Rick. <laughs> Excuse me. I liked how he uh, he finally came to peace with himself. You know, he realized uh, the wrongs of his of his ways that he was doing while he was drinking. But it took it took for for him to go to prison for him to realize that. You know that that it was out of control. And that he you know, he had disease. He couldn't he couldn't he couldn't just do it by himself. Uh, so you know he. When he was in prison, he came one with God, and, and that helped him through that big hump that that we all go through when we when we first stop drinking. You know, uh, just by him for forgiving himself for for being the way he was, uh, helped him through all that. That's all I have. Well, what comes to mind for me is that. 
I think some people, I mean, even, even average people, when they get, if they're real alcoholic or, you know, even with alcoholic tendencies, get a start in life and, um, get a hold of a job. And like he did, he was, became, a um, a, a, a jockey. And it sounds like with the, with the business of that, there was probably drinking going on around him and a lot of entertainment. And then he became, he had a somewhat important job as that weather person. And I, I believe looking back on my own history also, when I had something because of my alcoholism and, and that's why in step seven, they, they want us to practice that humility because it's so important. You know, I, I believe I developed some sort of arrogance, but I hid it because, you know, we're not supposed to act self-important, are we? But I believe that, that as alcoholics, we could feel that um, grandiosity that it talks about in our book, where that's the self-importance and That's why I think being that I've been thinking of, of like, if I have to go back to work or helping others, you know, I got a, um, a sponsee in New Zealand and she hasn't called me in a couple of days, but I'm going to put, I'm going to set up our, our appointment for Friday and hopefully she'll be there. But, you know, my, my, my position as a teacher, I believe as an alcoholic personality, my position as a teacher was I was trying to be of service, but when the stress hit me and I drifted away from the program, I became that grandiosity came back. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's time for us to, to close it. But I'm just saying that sometimes it can be dangerous if we get in positions of importance. Even in prison, some of those guys do. They become like the, the leader of the prison people. Okay, we're going to, um, thank you. We're going to have to cut it off at um, 7.30 to let everyone go back to work. Rick, um, yep. thank you so much. It's been a good experiment today. And uh, I like my grandiose. Doesn't everybody like their grandiose? I don't want them to take my grandiose away. <laughs> I love you guys. God bless you. Let's go ahead and pray out with the uh, with a third step prayer, please. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming in. I'm going to reset if anybody likes to come in for the second half. Thank you. I know Rick, has, Rick has to go to work. Okay. Okay. All righty.
All right. Thank you for coming back. Appreciate. Um, one of the one of the rules that we want to establish on this is that um, we talk about our experience that has happened to us in relation to alcohol in comparison to the uh, to the to the story. Can you hear me? Oh, um, that's the beauty the beauty of uh, reading freelance. We've got freelancing, and I. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> let's go ahead and go around. Let's check in. Let's see what uh, what are, is our, our gratitude for today. What is our short-term goal we're going to do today? And what is a long-term goal? Um, how's that? How's that for a start a conversation, huh? Okay. My short-term goal today is, uh, my gratitude is I have the ability to help my sister. She wants me to go help her return some things at the hardware store with my truck. Uh, mm -hmm. My goal is to hit two meetings today in the afternoon, one with Les Alanon, and then one in Santa Monica, which is across across the, uh, it's about an hour to get there. Uh, go support someone that's going to speak less. Uh, and my long-term goal is to not not to stick my boot in my mouth. <laughs> it's my long-term goal. You're not going to stick your food in your mouth. Uh, that's what that's my goal. <laughs> not to do that. Not to say the wrong thing. I thought you said food is what I said. <laughs> boot. All right. Uh, let's go ahead down the line. We'll go ahead and uh, Dermot. What do, what do we have out there right now? What? What is that building? Is that a historical building? Oh, that's just the grand. Uh, that one there in front is just a hotel. That's beside the grand called the Lansdowne Terrace. And that one up there is called the Grand. It's uh, one of the biggest swankies hotel. It must be the biggest swankiest one around here. The Where the are grand, you? The big, the big White House. Is that England? Yeah, that's England. And this is... Uh, this is the roadway down the seafront. Wow. Uh, you want to see the views, you know, up at the top? That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Behind, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing place around here. Lovely people, too, you know. Wow. You'll never go hungry. You'll never go, you know, lonely. You know, there's all that sorted out down around the sand. Is it England? Is it London? Yeah. So my short-term goals is uh, trying to get a wee bit of employment, you know, something to do. It's uh, draining me just waking up every day with nothing to do. And uh, I've already uh, made loads of new friends around here. And uh, I was at a great church the other day, and I felt so welcome, you know. And I went to a course called the Alpha Course last Wednesday. And I uh, sat in with a load of ones doing that. And it's on the night again, you know. And... Uh, I just got a text there from the guy that took me, and he's going to take me up. You know, I'm not going to leave AA and go into Alpha Course and stay there or anything, or go to church and stay there, but I'm just going to, you know, just try and, try and accept, you know, that I can have that alongside AA, you know, and I can meet Christian people and people who's good for you, instead of what I've been doing is walking into a fucking company that ain't good for me at all, you know. And uh, crucifying myself for it. 
and you said it there, Fernando, at the start, it's about keeping, keeping, you know, your, your, what do you say, keeping your foot out of your mouth? <laughs> and that's what I need to start doing, you know, is like fucking keeping my foot well out of, you know, stop talking, you know, start thinking before I speak and all that sort of stuff, you know. I haven't been doing that because I've been too clouded up, you know, with uh, making excuses for other things. And But I'll tell you, today I have a really clear head. This is my second day really clear-headed again. And I have a lot of hope, you know, that I can build on, you know, with all the guys around here and with you guys. And everything's coming together, you know. It takes time, you know, just even through Zoom, you know, till uh, you know, just to connect with people and just to understand, you know, what you're doing. And, uh, yeah... I think that's all. I think that's enough for me. You know, I'm I'm just uh, I'm hopeful at the minute. I hope that doesn't change. I'm gonna keep praying to God and take it one day at a time, and I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, remember the uh, ground rules is we talk about our one thing we're grateful for, our short-term goal for today, and long-term goal, and we try not to uh, give advice to each other. Okay, that's the rule. That's what he said. Yeah. Um, a short term. Yeah, one great one gratitude. You're grateful for. Oh, gratitude. One short term. What are you gonna to do today? And one long term. Well, I'm grateful for um, that. I'm feeling much better these days. Um, more energy, it seems, just in the last week, and I am. For my short-term goal, I need to email. Um, I found out that there's a retirement. I actually found more wreckage of the past because I had a retirement account that I have to dissolve it and get the money out of it. Um, but I'm, I, because of this program, I was able to look at it in its proper perspective and realize my part in contributing to the losses around it. Um, I did do a little bit of blaming of my dad and brother for the crap that was going on here when I had to leave and spend all that money on a hotel, but I'm digressing. My point is that my short that short-term goal was to email the guy in the retirement account and get the money get it in here and get in the bank. Um, my long-term goal is to continue to work the steps, be of service at the meetings. I'm taking the training for the 24 international meeting again. They have a refresher and I'm going to be of service to them. Um, a be of service and to be around more people. I have, I'm still socially pretty withdrawn and afraid of people, uh, afraid to be around people. I'm afraid they're going to hurt. And uh, I can't really take a chance someone who's going to and abuse me again. I much stay by myself. I don't trust very many people. I trust Fernando. Um, that's my internet. So that's pretty much it. All right, thank you very much. I'm going to get going uh, for the day. Thank you guys for coming in. Let's go ahead and finish with the Our Father, and let's expect remarkable things to happen. I mean, when you got some money and unexpected money, that's a remarkable thing. So that qualifies for a miracle there, you know. And getting a job is a remarkable thing, you know. Um, 
We're alive and well and fully clothed in our right minds. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with the Our Father, okay? Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, art in heaven. Hallowed, be thy hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom thy come, kingdom come. Thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, family, give them heaven. Yeehoo! <laughs> Come on, Kimberly. Look at that, Fernando. They drive on the left side over there. I couldn't do that. I, I bump into somebody right away. They, they drive on the left side of the road. That yeah. is so wild. That's crazy. My subconscious mind will go crazy. Ah! All right, guys. <laughs> Hasta la vista, hermanos, hermanas. Bye-bye. I love you. I love you, too, love girl. Love you, guys. Let's get, let's get that. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh boy thank you that was great that was london and a lot of california have a great time folks Welcome to today's reading. If you feel good, you're not normal. This is from article April 1976 from the Grapevine. I'm reading to you from the lighter side of sobriety, happy, joyous, and free. It says, to my surprise, <clears throat> to my surprise, I have discovered that writing about depression can be quite depressing. <clears throat> but does it need to be? If I give it the light touch and dwell on self-help rather than on dismal personal experiences, it may not be so depressing. <clears throat> First, I want to make it clear that I am not an authority on the subject. <clears throat> After an extra search research, I'm not surprised to learn that some depressions are almost all physical, while many are caused by a combination of factors. Perhaps like alcoholism, they can be mental, physical, and spiritual. For people suffering some kind of depression, professional help is absolutely required. For others, it would be like to share some of the antidepressants that work for me. I now realized that my fall from the acute pink cloud stage after a few months in AA was perfectly natural. Reality is not up in the air someplace, but later I found it hard to understand why the AA program, which had rescued me from the dread and incurable disease of alcoholism, did not relieve my depression, blues, or blots. I tried more inventory, attempted more meditation, revisited step three, all to no avail. 
I attended more meetings and found that they helped if they were jolly and full of laughter. 12-step calls helped me to get out of myself only temporarily. Sometimes I couldn't seem to reach people. The negative feelings were still restless, especially at night. I could not find any reason except perhaps that my own negative ways of thinking had come home to roost. Or was it too many great expectations or a sense that time had run out and now was not a success yet? Or was it anger turned in on myself and guilt for all these reasons? I asked for help from a higher power, but there seemed to be a block. One day I picked up the daily paper and found an article entitled, If you're feeling good today, you're not a normal person. The article said, Feel pretty good today? If this is true, the Office of Health Economics wants you to know your condition is highly abnormal. Enjoying complete physical, mental, and social well-being was said to be definitely abnormal. <laughs> In my own words, if you think you are 100% well, boy, are you sick. Suddenly, I found myself laughing helplessly to think that all the times I felt blue and depressed, I was barely being normal. I began to wonder whether it had been a mistake to take step two. It might restore to sanity and became normal and miserable. <laughs> Another title caught up my eye, Bruxism. That means grinding your teeth in your sleep. Bruxism. And the results are a painful mouth and puffy eyes. If you are married, I suppose the teeth gnashing also make you very unpopular with your mate. The costs are depression, strain, and repress and control anger. The causes are depression, strain, and repress and control anger. Overcoming these things, these bring relief. I suffered them all, but I called it alcoholism, not bruxism. However, I did engage in a lot of figurative teeth gnashing at the world in general and people in particular. Until that time, I had not realized that my sense of humor was at, at a low ebb. I was taking myself too seriously. I also left a lot of gaps in my inventory. My vices and virtues were all mixed up. I now realize that I may never know all the reasons for my depression, but I can turn them over, whatever they are. Before I go to sleep, I can ask my higher power to help me awake free of them. At first, it seemed a little strange not to feel depressed or to be thinking negatively. I was depressed over that for a time. Gloom, depression, and negativism are terribly content contagious. In their grip, I hurt others as well as myself. I made dumb decisions and refused to act when I should, just as I did when drinking. But laughter is also contagious, and so is good humor. They are part of being restored to sanity. <clears throat> I can make, see myself as I really am and become willing to help myself and to accept help from others. The ability to laugh at myself restores my capacity to be honest. 
The ability to laugh at myself restores me to a capacity to be honest. Even Thomas Edison had his low moments. It is written that he had a card on his desk reading, When you are down in the mouth, remember Jonah. He came out all right. <laughs> Once more, I have come to believe that the AA program, especially the 12 steps, can work for my depression as well as my alcoholism. I marvel that, for me, alcoholism and depression have much the same symptoms. It is no wonder that the laughter in AA attracted me from the very beginning. The restorative power of laughter should never be underrated. I learned to laugh again and again in AA, and when I'm laughing, the whole world seems to smile at me. I have come to believe that I am being restored to sanity when my sense of humor is restored and I cease to take myself too seriously. I have only turned my life and my will over to God and my depression too. AA is the most effective antidepressant I've found. Of course, if that article I quoted from is correct, I'm not normal because I am so happy in AA. Most of my AA friends won't know the difference. Anyway, I've been warned that if I ever do get well, I'll probably lose all my friends. From MU, Britain, Colorado. Whew, that was good, guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. The things I like about this story is uh, Brooksism. That's something I always grind my teeth. And yeah, and I got married and I started grinding them faster, you know. RPMs, driving truck, you get white line fever and you get RPMs inside of you. In other words, subconsciously, your, your mind is running on the RPMs and, and making high intensity desire to keep getting on the road again. You can't rest more than three days as a truck driver. Um, the other thing was, is uh, if it wasn't for the laughter in AA, I probably w wouldn't have not woken up. I wouldn't have gotten healed. I wouldn't uh, <clears throat> have uh, moments of clarity. And I wouldn't have uh, had desire to be part of. So I might, <clears throat> I might be restored to sanity and become normal and miserable. Because being too rigged and not being able to laugh at myself is, uh, it certainly is a problem. All right. Thank you so much for listening in. God bless you. Give them heaven, not hell. Give them, you gave them enough hell. How did that work out for you? Give them heaven. Reading for today comes from uh, the Grapevine. Grapevine, October 2020. It says the first article is called Oasis. Except for an occasional scorpion or two, this wonderful desert meeting was her safe, sober home. Bob Dylan once sang a song about being a Rolling Stone, and I was one too. 
we moved a lot in my life. My father transferred just about every four years when I was growing up. By the time I left home, moving was in my blood. So when my restlessness during my drinking days arose when a living situation became intolerable, I would simply move somewhere else a few miles away. I had lived in the Seattle area for 35 years. I was always looking for greener pastures and really never found them. Of course, I was drinking and moving and changing jobs too. Mostly, I was just plain miserable to slowly change in sobriety. When I was 12 years old, sober, my father died. I lost my job the week after his funeral. He and my mother had been snowbirds for 17 years and finally settled in Tucson, Arizona with nothing to keep me in Seattle. Down I went. I had been dreading the move. So a friend went with me to the comfort to comfort me as we headed south. I finally reached my new home on the west side of the Tucson mountains. There was a desert goalie out back, so I had a front row seat for the entire cycle of the seasons in the Sonoran Desert. I took care of my elderly mother while I worked full time. I had to sell two houses, two vehicles, and a trailer. I had to downside their accumulated belongings. I found a meeting place close to the home. It was a mile away from the base of Cap Mountain. The first time I went, I found it was like many of the AA meetings I had gone to before. But soon something unusual happened. The leader started with, My name's Charlie. I am an alcoholic and I am a member of the such and such group. That was familiar. But then the members all chimed in saying, Right on, in unison. You have got to be kidding me, I thought. This was not a response I had heard before. I knew that... Meetings are autonomous, but this one's just a little hokey, in my opinion. Nonetheless, I kept coming back each week. This AA group, composed mainly of men, became my sole support for the three years I lived there. Before I knew it, I was chiming, chiming in just like everyone else. The meeting there began with... The meetings there began with the How It Works. The traditions were read out of the second edition big book. And then the group decided that the topic would be the, that evening. When no one suggested a topic, Charlie would blurt out gratitude. And so it went on just like that. Each group member took a firm, took a turn doing the steps and leaders in the morning in the meeting during the rainy summer season we met outside cat mountain was not too far away so we had a wildlife to accompany us including including lizards and crickets as well as the occasional snake tarantulas and black widows 
Centipedes and scorpions were always ahead. The members of the meetings were an unlikely bunch of drunks. There were firemen from Cape Cod, a guy with a beard more than a foot long who brought his chihuahua, a fellow who got sober in prison, a co-worker of mine who I could talk to about the pressures of my responsibilities, a guy who sold tools and Uh, the guy who had sold tools had a young daughter. We were a very tight-knit group, and when the wife of one of the members left him, the group rallied around. We, we, knew. we were there later when he got the news that she had collapsed and died in a convenience store at 838 from alcoholism. This meeting was my oasis. This meeting was my oasis in the desert and kept me sober for good. The meeting was on my oasis in the desert and kept me sober for three years. I'm truly grateful for the little meeting. We carry the message. The reading of the day. Amen. Just a drunk, my alcoholic drinking career lasted nearly 35 years. Drinking led to my becoming a liar and thief, constantly living in fear of being found out. Uncontrollable fits of boozing saw me fired, jailed, dishonored, suffering intolerably, going into hospitals, treatment programs, and AA. With a few variations, I repeated that performance over and over for about 19 years. Over a year of my life was wasted in treatment because no one could see that my real problems were the nagging wife, nasty bosses, and people who were out to get me. My way of asking for help was, Here I am, turkeys. Fix me. If you have my problems, you'll drink too. 
I sincerely hope that my financial treatment program and AA renewal was in 1978. This time around, I was lucky to find a sponsor who was strong on the AA program. Outlined in the big book, the program has a noteworthy track record, so he saw no need to put together a custom-made special purpose program as I had tried to do so often in the past. His idea of carrying the message was like one beggar showing another where he finds the bread, not becoming their baker. Problem have been constant companions, but I have had a sober and reasonable contentment life since I tried to practice the AA program to the best of my ability. Alcoholics are like are likely to enter AA more eager to hear advice on how to straighten out their personal lives then how to learn to live sober, trouble and all, one day at a time. Because we are naturally protective of newcomers, a growing number of AA members are just as eager to offer explicit advice about resolving personal difficulties. In so doing, aren't we putting our work on a service plane rather than sharing our experience, strength, and hope? Working with others in the big book states, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon others ahead of dependence on God. I have been down the long road. Here are key lines from whose responsibility, as in Bill sees it. An AA group as such, I cannot take on the personal problems of his members. The solutions of his problems of living and growing rest squarely on the individual. Teaching and practicing the AA 12 step is the sole purpose of the group. The first part of AA's eight tradition reads, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. In general, AA simply take this time to meet that AA is a society of amateurs that nobody gets paid for 12-step work. But professionalism has much deeper meaning. True professionals are highly educated individuals such as physicians, professors, psychiatrists, research scientists, and others, not merely people who are paid for working. The, there are professionals who are also alcoholics, but the idea of a professional alcoholic is far-fetched. In some AA groups, there is no escape from would-be experts in alcoholism, sociology, psychology, pharmacology, or you name it. An AA newcomer who innocently asks a question may be inundated with a snap judgment directions and advice from these well-meaning gurus. A newcomer has no reason not to regard those unqualified AA as pros, but disastrous results are possible. I wonder where I'll be today if I had followed some strong advice that led me to serious considering separating from my wife. She supported me and I paid the bills during the long periods when I was incapable of working. After a suicide attempt, it was my wife who saved my life and who is in AA is qualified to urge another to discontinue taking medication. I pray that I will stay humble and not forget that I am just a drunk, sober today through the grace of God and the AA program. The next time I feel the urge to help some poor soul, I hope to remember the meaning of Tradition 8. I have much personal experience to share, but I learned professionalism. I ain't, nor do I, bake another's bread. Jack F. from Aurora, Illinois.
I think I read that before. Sounds familiar. I wanted to read something that I haven't read before. Let me see if I can give you a snippet or give myself a snippet. Okay. Okay, here we go. A matter of choice from Marysville, Ohio. I've been in and out of AA for the last seven years. Currently, I am in prison. I asked the judge to send me here instead of to another treatment center. In the past seven years, I have walked out of over 27 treatment centers against medical advice, and I just couldn't take it anymore. So I am here by choice. Weird, huh? Not really. I finally got to the point I've been trying to get to for seven years, willing to go 20 lengths. I've been here only three months, but I've grown more in this short time than in the many years before. Anyway, I just wanted to send my sincere thanks to all of you and let you know how grateful I am for all you've done and are doing for me. It brings tears to my eyes. I am not alone and never need to be again. The people of the local central office put me in contact with an AA pen pal in Hawaii, and that's been neat. I hope she continues to write. This program is beautiful, and even though I am in prison, today life is beautiful too. Dee Dee. Our next story comes from Ridgecrest, California, called A Bulls and Bushes. Of Bull and Bushes. This is a good time to reflect on some of the things I learned about myself as the next month I'll be moving into my 10th year of sobriety. Thanks to the grace of God, the AA program, and my loved ones. In my first few months of sobriety, I was feeling pretty smart and satisfied with myself. I had determined in my newfound wisdom that I could sort out the good from the bad stuff that I heard at meetings. When someone said something I didn't like or agree with, I automatically was categorized as bull in my mind. I didn't realize until fairly recently how much I was missing in those days. Over the years, i come to understand that one man's bull may be another man's burning bush. Early on, with not much of a grasp on humility, I don't know that what was shared at meeting was shared with the group, not just me. Now I know that although I may disagree with something said, I, a person across the table may hear it as a revelation in his program. Now I listen to it all. <coughs> Coming to Believe from Oakland, California. These are letters from to the P.O. Box. One night, Diane and I were leading the beginners meeting downtown the central office. This was a structured series of meetings, and since this was the second time through the series, I thought I knew all the instructions. But all at once, the sentence loomed in front of me, explained the difference between religion and spirituality. I don't remember ever having seen that sentence before. It was like rereading a passage in the big book, but seeing it for the first time. I gave some sort of answer about church and fellowship, and we went on to the next set of instructions. However, the incident bothered me more than I wanted to admit. When I first came into the program, I was agnostic, or 
That was the label I put on myself. I could not accept any formal religion of God. My life was unmanageable, so I just sat there and listened. At the beginning of a meeting, we have a moment of silence before opening with the surrender prayer. After twirling my tongue through this pause for some months, I realized I could ask for strength both for myself and for the people I care for. So it wasn't wasted time anymore. This action gradually evolved into a feeling that I have a higher power. The word God is too concrete a word for what I feel. So I may read it as God, but it becomes higher power in my heart. I also changed the tense, tense of the second step in my mind. I am coming to believe. All of this may explain what happened. I woke up the Saturday morning following the beginner's meeting with the answer absolutely clear. Religion was something taught me, acquired and external experience, while spirituality welled up from within and required no education, no Torah or Bible, no Shema or priest. I believe my higher power led me to this explanation as it was too clear and bright for so early in the morning. T.T. Our next story is from Melford, Medford, New York, airing it out. I know that at some meetings we can't smoke because of fire or insurance regulations. I can accept that. That's life. I can also accept the fact that some folks really are allergic to smoke and must avoid smoke-filled rooms. Clear, clearly, we need to have meetings that are smoke-free for these folks, but I am not comfortable with groups that don't allow smoking because it isn't it is another addiction AA is not in that business our group allows smoking we have an exhaust fan non-smokers know now know to sit by the incoming fresh air away from the exhaust fan i just wonder what do those groups that don't allow smoking do when a shaky drunk shows up to their meetings for the first time and lights it up? Do they treat him with empathy and understanding, or do they tell him, this is a non-smoking meeting, you can't stay here? How many newcomers will stick around trying to detox themselves from booze and not smoke, too? That was from Vince. And we'll end it right there to the next segment. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Greetings, family. Today we're going to be trying to read uh, November 1988 Grapevine. Okie doke. Here are the... Uh, the table of contents, the, the individual taken from 1949, do we need each other, 
taken from July 1976. My Eagle and Tradition 2, September 1978. A Desire to Stop Drinking, it comes from us originally from the Grapevine in 1978. How Autonomous Can You Be from 1960. Here's one from 1952. Uh, Tradition 5 by Bill W, 1952. And then Let's Continue to Stand Alone from 1947. And then another one from 1947, Tradition 7. Group meetings grow, and so do expenses. From uh, 1958, it says, these are stories from 1958, the grapevine that says, give my regard to New York. And the next one is 1956, we may create service boards. Okay, what we're gonna do right here, I'm just gonna pick a couple of them that I like, that I think are, are needed. I'm gonna read the one about step two, and Tradition 5 and honor Bill W., our founder, and Dr. Bob, our, our co-founder. Without each other, we wouldn't have here. Thank you for listening today. Let's go ahead and pray. Serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to think, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. I've only been saying it for 30 years. Okay, here we go. Page nine. My Eagle and Tradition Two. I would like to share with my grapevine friends a small portion of my fifth step and the experience with Tradition 2 that led me to take this step. I try to live the gratitude I feel by carrying the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Whether newcomer or old-timer, after approximately six months of sobriety, I felt the need for a Sunday afternoon group. Toronto has over 180 meetings per week, but not one fill that time period. When I spoke to a number of AAs, they all replied, Sounds great. Call me when it started. Everything will happen when it is meant to. Finally, a full year later, someone looked thoughtfully at me for a moment, and then asked, When do we get started? With a lot of help from a lot of people, the discussion group how its first meeting only two weeks after the question was asked. At that time, we had two members and about five visitors weekly. Three months later, we had grown to 10 members and 20 to 25 visitors, enough to break up into two smaller groups. Now, there is one thing I failed to mention. I was with the group for the first of those months, but was confined to the hospital or my home for the next two, two months. Other AAA members looked after the group. 
The superior some might think and get more than a little squirrely. I, be, I believe that I had started the discussion group, that I had managed it, and that I was responsible for helping all those people each Sunday. My second week back at the group was our business meeting. I was elected secretary, but I wanted the position of GSR because it sounded more impressive. After all, didn't I deserve it? Needless to say, my ego was hurt. My friends upstairs was taking care of me. Though, as he had always done for a couple of weeks, I go to other groups and unfailingly be asked to read the traditions. Nobody but myself noticed my voice faltering on the second tradition. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority in loving God as He may express Himself in our group conscience. Our groups are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Our leaders. Sorry about that. More and more, that began hitting home. Looking at things honestly, I knew that a multitude of people provided the action behind the discussion group, including every individual who participated by coming. I admitted the obvious fact that the group had not only maintained itself while I was ill, it had grown tremendously and became a very popular meeting. The other traditions came into focus for me, and I realized that God, as I understand Him, had used me. I was merely an instrument enabled through His grace to carry out His will. Though I am still a bit ashamed to confess this, at first I resented my higher power for taking the spotlight away from me. I took a mini inventory and shared my findings with a wonderful man who had just happened to speak on step five at a meeting earlier that evening. By the end of the discussion, our discussion, I realized that God was again working through one alcoholic to help another. What could be more beautiful? My work was not done. The ninth step was also connected with this. The following Sunday afternoon, when I came my turn to discuss what was on my mind, I began. For what for what I'm about to say, I will probably lose some friends, but, and the story was told. After the meeting, almost all the members came up to me and said little or nothing as they simply lovingly put their arms around me. They understood. I choose to share this experience with you because I know that somewhere someone is feeling that what I did. To such a friend, I say, others who have been there know the original anger and frustration. We know the hurt ego and the guilt that follows. We know the God-given feelings of peace that finally come when we accept the fact that we are only instruments fulfilling His plans. You are not alone. This is from YT from Toronto, Ontario, 1978. And that, my friends, is me, too. My ego hurt. My group, I'm on vacation right now. My group hasn't called me, and I'm wondering if they're going to be okay without me. I gave my coffee commitment to another person to take over for me. My Friday night commitment of taking the podium to the park and taking the coffee. 
It takes two men to do that job that I was single-handling it. Uh, I got someone else to do my secretary meeting. And I feel relief, relieved. All right now, all is well. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We'll give you the next story coming right up. See you in the next segment. Our next article comes to us from Bill W. Bill W. Where to go? Tradition five from 1952. Here we go. Bill W. says to us. Tradition five, starting Friday, May twenty-first, by Bill W. The power of music to transport us. We call it the Great Escape, and we'd love to include the piece that helps you get away. Your go-to piece when you need a little stress relief, maybe. Tell us about it on our website, kuse.org, or call us at two one three two two five seven five four zero. That's kuse.org or two one three two two five. Shoemakers stick to the last. Better to do one thing supremely than that is the central theme of this tradition. Around it our society gathers in unity. The very life of our fellowship requires the preservation of this principle. Alcoholics Anonymous can be likened to a group of physicians who might find a cure for cancer and upon whose concerted work would depend the answer for sufferers of the disease. True, each physician in such a group might have his own specialty. Every doctor concerned would at times wish he could devote himself to his chosen field rather than work only with the group. But once these men have hit upon a cure, once it became apparent that the only that only by their united effort could this be accomplished, then all of them will feel bound to devote themselves solely to the relief of cancer. In the radiance of such a miraculous discovery, any doctor would set his other ambitions aside at whatever personal cost. Just as firmly bound by obligation are the members of Alcoholics Anonymous who have demonstrated that they can help problem drinkers as others seldom can. The unique ability of each AA to identify himself with and bring recovery to the newcomer in one way depends upon his learning, eloquence, or on any special individual skills. Okay, let me read that again. I missed a word. The unique ability of each AA to identify himself with and bring recovery to the newcomer in no way depends upon his learning eloquences or on any special individual skill. The only thing that matters is that he is an alcoholic who has found a key to sobriety. 
These legacies of suffering and of recovery are easily passed among alcoholics, one to the other. This is our gift from God and is bestowed upon others like us in the one aim is the one aim and today animates AAs all around the globe. There is another reason for this singleness of purpose. We know that we can seldom keep the precious gift of sobriety unless we give it away. If a group of doctors possess a cancer cure, they might be conscience stricken if they fail in their mission through self-seeking. Yet such failure wouldn't jeopardize their personal survival for us. If we neglect those who are still sick, there is unremitting danger to our own lives and sanity. Under these compulsions of self-preservation, duty, and love, it is not strange that our society has concluded that it has but one high mission, to carry the message to those who don't know there's a way out. Highlighting the wisdom of AA single purpose, a member tells this story. Restless one day, I felt I better do some 12-step work. Maybe I thought, take out some insurance against a slip. I should. But first, I have to find a drunk to work on. So I hopped on the subway to Towns Hospital where I asked Dr. Silkworth if he had a prospect. Nothing too promising, the little doctor said. There's just one chap on the third floor who might be a possibility, but he is an awful tough Irishman. I never saw a man so obstinate. He shouts that if his partner would treat him better and his wife would leave him alone, he soon solved his alcoholic problem. He had a bad case of the DTs. He's pretty foggy now, and he's very suspicious of everybody. Doesn't sound too good, does it? But working with him may do something for you. So why don't you have a go at it, young man? I was soon sitting beside a big hulk of a man. Decidedly unfriendly, he stared at me out of eyes which were slit in his red and swollen face. I had to agree with the doctor. He certainly didn't look good. But I told him my own story. I explained what a wonderful fellowship we had, how well we understood each other. I bore down hard on the hopelessness of the drunk's dilemma. I insisted that few drunks could ever get well on their own steam. But then in our group, we could do together what we could not do separately. He interrupted me with a scoff at this point, asserted that he fix his wife, his partner, and his alcoholism by himself. Scar Sarcastically, he asked, how much does your scheme cost? I was thankful that I could tell him nothing at all. His next question, what are you getting out of it? Of course, my answer was, my own sobriety and a mighty happy life. Still dubious, he demanded, Do you really mean that the only reason you are here is to try and help me 
and to help yourself? Yes, I said. That's absolutely all there is to it. There's no angle. Then, hesitantly, I ventured to talk about the spiritual side of our program. What a freeze that drunk gave me. I no sooner got the word spiritual out of my mouth that, than he pounded. Oh, oh yeah. Now I see, now I get it. You're proselyting, proselyting for some damn religion, sect, or other. Where do you get that no angle stuff? As a matter of fact, I belong to a great church. That means everything to me. You got a nerve to come in here talking religion. Thank heaven I came up with the right answer for this one. It was based four square on the single purpose of AA. You have faith, I said, perhaps far deeper faith than mine. No doubt you're better taught in religion, religious matters than I, so I can't tell you anything about religion. I don't even want to try. I'll bet, too, that you could give me a better perfect definition of humility, but from what you told me about yourself and your problems and how you're supposed to lick them, I think I know what's wrong. Okay, he said, give me the business. Well, said I, I think you're just a conceited Irishman who thinks he can run the whole show. Woo! This really rocked him. But as he calmed down, he began to listen while I tried to show him that humility was the main key to sobriety. Finally, he saw that I wasn't attempting to change his religious views, that I wanted him to find the grace in his own religion that would aid his recovery. From there on, we got along fine. Now, concludes the old timer, Suppose I've been obliged to talk to this man on religious grounds. Suppose my answer had to be that AA needed a lot of money, that AA went in for, went in for education, hospitals, and rehabilitations. Suppose I suggested that I take a hand on his domestic and business affairs. Where would have I wound up at? No place at all, of course. Years later, many years later, this tough Irish customer likes to say, my sponsor sold, sold me on one idea, and that was sobriety. At that time, I couldn't have bought anything else. Amen. And with that, thank you, Bill W., for bringing us AA and our program we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for your uh for bill w's great uh faith and and thank god for his battering average that he was uh he was battering he couldn't hit the sober ball over the fence Thank God for humility and sobriety that he started hitting fence and he taught us how to be sober and be able to hit, hit the ball over the fence in life and stick to the job, stick to the relationships, stick to a happy life through humbleness, through being teachable, through surrendering. 
I myself, I'm going on 27 years of sobriety. I am very grateful for my journey. Thank you guys for listening in. Let's go ahead and listen to the next story. Let's take a break. All right, our next article will come from the called The Individual from 1949. The Individual. This is coming to us from Belfort, New York, RB. Thank you for sending this in. It says, do the 12 traditions of AA have any special meaning for the individual? Again, the question is, do the 12 traditions of AA have any special meaning for the individual? Are they important to you and to me personally, or are they significant merely as they help us to make sound group decisions? My own feelings is that they have personal as well as group meaning and that the groups can apply them effectively only when the individual members understand them, accept them, and believe in them. If a group rejects the experience offered in the traditions, it is a threat to me personally because it weakens a part of the structure of AA which helps keep me sober. Take away a sound group structure in AA and you will leave me floundering. I have the 12 suggested steps to fall back on, but would they be enough in times of crisis? They might be, but I know that working in and with a group of AAs makes it a lot easier to stay sober, and I prefer not to do a thing the hard way. And I prefer not to do things the hard way. If I, as an individual, need a group affiliation, it must be with a group whose roots are grounded in AA wisdom, experience, and principles. I am not looking for sociability, convivability, or a chance to make business contacts. I have come to AA to achieve and retain sobriety. I want to share a gift that has been made possible by the costly experience of others. 
The traditions, the 12 traditions of A disclose that experience to me. They tell me what had to be done and what had to be avoided to help ensure the continued sobriety of their early members. And they remind me that if the early members had not continued sober, I might not be sober today myself. In the traditions, I can read an assurance that AA will continue to be guided by principles, not by personalities. That is important. The domination of a single group by personalities would be distasteful to me, however well-intentioned. Those personalities might be. If doubts and differences should arise in any group with which I may be associated, I want the solution of those doubts and differences to emerge from something bigger than personalities, something bigger than the group itself. The 12 traditions seems to me to express a deep sense of humility and responsibility upon which AA is based. To help make AA continue to serve, I must also bring humility and responsibility to bear upon all personal decisions involving AA. Some of those decisions will be made at closed meetings of AA groups. Others may be involved purely personal. Others may be involved purely personal relationships. Yet, in each decision, I cannot help but shape in some small way the future of AA for myself and for others. I think the radio is too loud, huh? Let me go ahead and lower it a little bit. Uh, anybody want to donate their car? Hang on, please. Okay, here we go again. Okay. Where did I leave off? Thank you for hanging in there with me. The 12 traditions seem to me to express a deep sense of the humility and responsibility upon which AA is based. To help make AA continue to serve, I must also bring humility and responsibility to bear upon all personal decisions involving AA. Some of those decisions will, will be made at close meetings of AA groups. Others may involve purely personal relationships. Yet, in each decision, I cannot help but shape in some small way the future of AA for myself and for others who may be affected. This is a great responsibility for any one of us. We can discharge such responsibilities far better when the decisions we're, we make flow from the reservoir of AA experience contained in the 12 traditions. The tra tra traditions have been published for many months before I approached them with an open mind. To investigate what they meant and how they could help me their importance did not sink in, did not penetrate, until I could actually begin to read them thoroughly, to study them, and to measure them against my own limited experience in AA. As a result, today, I have a deeper sense of the importance of AA 
not only to myself, but to others for whom AA may in the future mean so much. I can see more clearly how easily the great gift of AA might be dissipated if the simple yet costly experience of the past were rejected. Without AA, few of us could long survive to lead hopeful, fruitful, constructive lives. The 12 traditions show us how AA can be preserved and kept strong. And that is all I have to know to lead me to accept those traditions as the key element in my own personal survival. R.B. from Bedford, New York. That was from the article of 1949, Grapevine. Our next article is from the 1976, Grapevine. Do we need each other? If the first words I heard in AA eased me into the first step, it was the second statement that gave me instant hope, making me feel better right away. Now, 31 years later, I believe that second sentence I heard contained the healing idea of our then unwritten first tradition. The first words were, Are you having trouble with your drinking? Totally unprepared for that question before I knew what I was doing, I had nodded a truthful, yes, 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 yes. It was a wobbly lurch toward step one. Later, I slipped off, but finally climbed back up. My new friend smiled and said calmly, Well, I'm a drunk myself. Come on in, and I'll talk it over. In effect, she invited me to participate in tradition one. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Her description of herself struck me dumb with amazement, even relief. So I mutely followed that wonderful woman into another room to talk it over. At that moment, I would have followed her to Hades, of course, hooked by her unashamed revelation that she was a well what she said, drunk, was a word I resented as adjective or noun. It had always disgusted me until she said it about herself as simply as she might have said she was a woman or a citizen or on a diet. She said, there's a lot of us who have alcoholism and we're not getting over it. No, excuse me. And now we're getting over it. There's a lot of us who have alcoholism, and we are getting over it. I was not alone. A sob of relief welled up. My friends then told me unemotionally about her drinking and carefully asked no questions about me or mine. No questions. In that wonderful book, Thirst for Freedom, David Stewart points out the tremendous helping power of empathy. I wonder why it is not talked about more, either by professional observers of AA or by us. The empathy of those first AAs I met certainly struck a mighty blow against my drinking and gave me a huge shove towards 
recovery. It is, I believe, a manifestation of our first tradition, and it goes considerably deeper than simply identifying. We go on to imitate good examples of sobriety. And in the 12 stepping, we put ourselves in another person's place in order to help. The empathy around me seemed to elicit some in me, which was the first genuine concern for someone else's welfare I had ever felt. And if it had another beginning effect on me, and it had another binging, benign effect on me. Like some other alcoholics, I had left the most outcast. I felt the most outcast. Lonely person on the earth a long time before I came to AA. In the rosy glow of first strength, I had felt apart above others, special, better, unique. That's an isolated spot with room for only one. Modeling hours later, sloppy drunk or trying to sober up, I had felt just as alone. A special bastard, worse than anyone else, uniquely loathsome and not worth caring about. Alone again, ostracized, undesired, and undesirable. Now, surely it takes an acrobatic, if not an alcoholic, egotism to flip-flop continually in order to retain distinction like that. To be either an unappreciated, Christ-like genius or a uniquely horrible specimen. But practice had made me good at it, and I was almost never as conscious or anyone or anything else as I was continually aware of me and my specialness. Even when I was not conscious of it, it permeated all I did and said. My first AA greeter's second statement, I'm a drunk myself, shattered a lot of my claim to being so specially different. It was exactly what my sick ego needed to hear. Then her take of alcoholism and recovery in the company of other alcoholics quickly demonstrated that I was far less powerful than the AA's staying sober together. Thus, it seems to me that the principle of anonymity is rooted in these words. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Does this mean I must put the welfare of AA before my own? To answer, I ask myself another question. Would I have any welfare of my own at all if it were not for AA? Does this tradition mean we should stifle unpopular or dissenting voices among us? I think it means the opposite. Suppose you and I have opinion polls apart about psychiatry, religion, AA public information activity, or the steps. Must each of us not respect the other's opinion if we want to stand together in sobriety? I don't mean tolerate. I mean really respect. Learning to work together amicably despite differences is part of becoming 
mature. I suspect and something I had not clue uh, to before AA. The words of our first tradition had not been written the first day I walked into AA, but when my AA friends assured me we could all stay to sober together, although we had not been able to do it alone, I believe they were acting out the tradition. The tradition also seemed to me an echo of what Bill W. discovered in 1935 in Akron, Ohio, when he realized he urgently needed to talk to another alcoholic to keep himself sober. On that long-ago day of my own entry into AA, as soon as I heard the implied invitation to join, I longed to be in that company. I always be grateful that I soon was and I have been so ever since. Our togetherness, our common welfare, our fellowship means so much to me that I am puzzled when someone flippantly remarks, the traditions are for groups, of course, not members. They are there to hold the movement together, not the members. The steps, not the traditions, are for recovery. Did any of us recover on our own? Didn't unity with other alcoholics in AA help a bit? Does anyone in AA believe he or she was not helped to recovery by the knowledge that we are all afloat on the same life raft? Isn't that the first tradition? Ego deflation is important in my recovery and this tradition bears on that too. It seems to me to the extent that I had experienced anonymity in the spiritual sense. It grows from tradition one, our unity. It seems to me we're sacrificing some ego satisfaction for me, such as those of being recognized as some kind of AA committee member or officer or speaker or grapevine contributor. The bonds that hold us together seem to me greatly worth cherishing. B.L. from New York, New York. There's a small article right here called from 1964 grapevine called Windows. A person completely wrapped up in himself makes a small package. The great day comes when a man begins to get himself off his hands he has lived, let us say, in a mind like a room surrounded by mirrors. Every way he turned, he saw himself. Now, however, some of the mirrors change to windows. He can see through them to object outlooks that challenge his interests. He begins to get out of himself, no longer the prisoner of self-reflection, but a free man in a, a world where persons Causes, truth, and the values exist. Worthful for their own sakes. Thus, to pass from a mere mind to a mind with windows is an essential element in the development of a real personality. Without the experience, no one ever achieved a meaningful life. Without that experience, no one ever achieve a meaningful life. That's from Harry Emerson 
Paul Fosdick. Thank you. Our next article is How Autonomous Can You Be? Taken from 1960. Grapevine. A popular cartoon by William Stagg shows a door, little man, dour little man huddle like inside a box like a hermit. The caption reads, People are no damn good. I was reminded of this cartoon as some delegates of the 10th General Service Conference of AA last April mentioned groups in their areas which declined to participate in the worldwide service of Alcoholic Anonymous because, so the report went, they prefer to be autonomous. Obvious, though, the answer may be to many, still the question arises. Does group autonomy mean group isolation? Or does group autonomy mean non-participation in any but local AA activities. Everybody agrees that self-government of the local group is an essential AA principle. One of the most common daily activities of staff members at the general service office is the reminding of groups that a particular question raised in correspondence can only be settled by the group itself. The GSO does offer advice as requested. It does prepare literature in which group experience with certain problems is made available to all. GSO speakers, when invited to area meetings, regularly present not their own opinions, but the varied experience throughout the AA world as a reporter to GSO. Self-government is so deeply embedded in the AA traditions after 25 years that it is far from needing defense. On the contrary, here, as through all AAs and indeed all human affairs, easy does it applies. Autonomy, like all other good things, can be carried to excess. Autonomy can become isolation, the self-respecting individual, Independent, self-supporting, deciding for himself what is right and good can, as he carries his independence to an extreme, become the door, sour little man in the box, the hermit, cherishing the thought that people are no damn good. A thought which carried to its logical conclusion includes himself, includes himself. In this respect, the group is like the individual. It must be responsible for the management of its own affairs, elect its officers and representatives, rates its 
raise its own finances, provide its own meeting place, conduct its meeting as it sees fit, develop its own program of 12-step work and sponsorship, work out its own arrangements with other groups and individuals in the community. But it should not try to operate in a vacuum. No one got AA in isolation. Every member of the group is sober today because some other individual carried the message. And no individual stays sober in AA by himself, but as a member of a group, whether it be a local group, his own corresponding group, or the larger group of AA as a whole. No group developed of itself and by itself, no single group responsible. Okay, how am I going to do this? A real meeting. One evening, I was visiting my friend Keith T. in the hospital. He had guns so that he could barely speak from his disability and crippling disease. I realized he was trying to say something, and as I put my ear next to his mouth, he whispered, I'm scared. I didn't know what to say because he was a long-standing member of AA, and over the years, he helped me and many others in dealing with various fears. He began to cry as I wiped his tears because he was unable to use his own arms. I also began to cry. Later, I realized that much of his fear was caused by being away from his AA meetings. I immediately began to call different AA members who had visited him over the many weeks, yet because of the non-private room in the hospital, it had become just that, a visit, not a meeting as one comes to depend upon and love and sobriety. To my request to bring a meeting to our friend, I received too many yeah, but answers. Then it hit me loud and clear. They didn't know how to get a meeting to him any more than I did. At least one of us had previously had such an opportunity. We started meeting in jails, mental institutions, and detox centers with much success, but not in an infirm environment. Two days later, my friend showed slight improvement, and I asked him if he would like to have an AA meeting if the staff would allow us to conduct one with him in the building. He grinned and asked, a real meeting? Before raising his expectations too high, I answered, yes, a real meeting, if they allow us to. Can I break your anonymity if they ask who is it for? They They replied with a smiling nod of approval. Upon asking permission from his nurse, who didn't seem to understand our needs for emotional as well as physical sobriety, the reply was, oh, we don't need AA here. They can't get any boost at all while they are in here. As I long learned to avoid any disputes or avoid selling AA to people, I calmly and lovingly explained how the meeting helps us emotionally. The supervisor heard me and stepped forward with approval allowing us to use a private room down the hall. The first night of the meeting, our AA friend strapped upright into the wheelchair, 
was wheeled into the room. The meeting was started in the usual manner, and we even brought our own coffee pot along. One hospital employee who hadn't been to a meeting in a very long time was just as grateful as our friend in the wheelchair. Almost the same people at the first meeting follow along weeks later when our friend was moved to a nursing home nearby. By a coincidence, staying in the same nursing home and attending the first meeting with a 92-year-old man who had been 12-step the week before, Alcoholics Anonymous works very well. Thank you. One further note, the 92-year-old person brought a 76-year-old friend along and at the close of the meeting we heard telling the younger one, well, just stay away from the first drink. <laughs> Brandon S. Sebastian Flores. That was a excerpt from A.A. Grapevine, 1992, August. Our next story comes from David C. from Colorado Springs, Colorado. It says, what do you know? For many AA members, it's a lot more than you think. What do you know? So, what do you know? That's a question I'm accustomed to asking people when I meet them. The majority of the time, I get a response something like, not much or words to that effect. It seems to be a stock answer for a lot of folks. It's the answer I get most often when I ask if a fellow member of Alcoholic Anonymous, and lately that's been disturbing me. It seems to be an almost obligatory response if one is an alcoholic in AA. It seems to me that with some members, it's almost point of pride to say, I don't know anything. With others, knowing something seems to be a sin. Cur- curious. If I pursue the question, they will concede that they know if they don't take a drink. They won't get drunk. I'm glad they know that. If they don't take a drink, they can't get drunk. It is because the people at the first meeting of AA I went to knew it that I stayed. This little bit of knowledge and the necessary actions that go along with it has kept me sober ever since. But surely I do... If you don't drink, you won't get drunk is not the only thing we alcoholics know. I thought I'd find out, so the other day I chaired a meeting and you guessed it, the topic was, what do you know? The meeting sort of went as I expected. A person would start out by saying they didn't know anything or at least, wait, not very much. And then I go on to share strength, hope, and experience, and just as importantly, knowledge. Each one of them shared in their own way how they got and stayed sober. In each case, it seemed to me that they had come to know what did and what did not work in their recovery and were acting on the knowledge, I guess, as always, that the key is action. In reality, as we members in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous both past and present, both individual and collectively, know a lot. We have learned how to get and stay sober and have acted on that knowledge. Further, we have learned that if we wanted our lives to be happy, joyous, and free, just not drinking wasn't enough. Again, the knowledge and again, that action. 
Later, I think a lot of people do. I come to AA distrusting everything I thought I knew. It seems that the evidence, my powerlessness, and the unmanageability of my life clearly indicated that all I knew was wrong. In early recovery, I became suspicious of everyone, every new thought, and had a tendency to discount them. I kept hearing old-timers say that they didn't know anything and take pride in it. To me, that sort of statement reeks a false modesty. Now I have come to understand that wasn't the case. My problem was that I did not take <clears throat> the appropriate action based on what I did know. For example, I knew fully 10 years before, example, I knew fully 10 years before I stopped drinking that I was an alcoholic, but nothing happened just knowing what was, was not enough. Only when I took this knowledge and acted on it did my life begin to change. I have come to understand it is not a sin to know something. For me, the sin lies in not taking appropriate action. Another sin equally damaging is not sharing what I do know. The knowledge of how I got and stayed sober for my own sake and for the sake of others seeking recovery, I I I cannot now coldly shuffle my feet I cannot, and say with misplaced humility that I don't know anything. I have also come to understand that I don't know at all, and that what I think I know may be wrong, but I do know things from what I know and acted on. I have been able to stay sober a little over eight years, and I have been able to turn my life completely around from the chaotic and emotional mess it was to a life I truly love living. I know I can't get drunk if I don't take a drink. That's a gift in itself. And I have come to know that working the 12 steps had given me and will continue to give me everything I ever wanted. This is another gift. But knowing that I know and thrusting what I know has been a gift of equal value. Steps have given me and will continue to give me everything I ever wanted. This is another gift. But knowing that I know and trusting what I know has been of equal value. David C. from Colorado Springs, Colorado. The reality is that we members in our, the Fellowship of Arcock Anonymous, both past and present, both individually and collectively, know a lot. We have learned how to get and stay sober and act and have acted on that knowledge. What do you know? Right by August 1992. What do you know? Laughing at ourselves. Recognizing the power of human in recovery. Humor in recovery. Sometimes there's nothing to do but laugh. 
We laugh about what we did while drinking. We laugh about our early mistakes and the pain of getting sober. And we laugh at ourselves even now. When one AA accidentally brings a cake with rum in it to her anniversary meeting, cake with punch, and another almost sets his car on fire while discussing the set with his sponsor, step on fire, what else could they do but throw out the cake, put out the fire, and laugh and move on? I learned to laugh again in AA. When I am laughing, the whole world seems to smile at me, writes the author of If You Feel Good, You're Not Normal. The laughter in AA attracted me from the very beginning. Laughter may not be the first key to getting sober, but laughing at our mistakes is just another way we begin to accept ourselves as humans. Our first story is called Charming is the Word for Alcoholics. Charming is the Word for Alcoholics. From the Grapevine, July 1944. Down at the very bottom of the social scale, AA society are the pariahs, the untouchable, and the outcasts all underprivileged and all known by one exhorting epithet, relatives. I am a relative. I know my place. I am not complaining, but I hope no one will mind if I venture the plenitude confession that there are times, oh, many times, when I wish I had been an alcoholic, but that I mean that I wish I were an AA. The reason is that I consider the AA people the most charming in the world. Such is my considered opinions as a journalist. It has been my fortune to meet many of the people who are considered charming. I number among my friends stars and lesser lights of stage and cinema. Writers are my daily diet. I know the ladies and gentlemen of both political parties I have been entertained in the White House I have broken bread with kings and ministers and ambassadors, and I say after the catalog which could be extended that I would prefer an evening with my AA friends to any person or groups I have indicated. I ask myself why I consider so charming these alcoholic caterpillars who have found their butterfly wings in Alcoholics Anonymous. There are more reasons than one, but I can name a few. The AA people are what they are, and they were what they were because they are sensitive, imaginative, possessed of a sense of humor and an awareness of universal truth. They are sensitive, which means that they are hurt easily and that help them become alcoholics. But when they have found their restoration, they are still as sensitive as ever, responding to beauty and to truth and eager about the intangible glories of this life that makes them charming companions. They are imaginative and that it helped me to make them alcoholics. Some of them drag to flog their imaginations on to greater efforts. Others guzzle only to black out un durable visions that rose in their imaginations. But when they have found their restoration, 
Their imagination is responsive to new incantations, and their talk abounds with color and light, and that makes them charming companions too. They are possessed of a sense of humor. Even in their cups, they have been known to say damnly funny things. Often it was being forced to take seriously the little and mean things of life that made them seek escape in a bottle. But when they have found their restoration, their sense of humor finds a blessed freedom and they are able to reach a godlike state where they can laugh at themselves, the very height of self-conquest. Go to the meetings and listen to the laughter. At what are they laughing? at ghoulish memories over which weaker souls would cringe in useless remorse and that makes them wonderful people to be to be with by candlelight and they are possessed of a sense of universal truth that is often a new thing in their hearts the fact that this at one meant with god's universe have never been awakened in them and sometimes the reason why they drank as they possess of a sense of universal truth again, that is often a new thing in their hearts. The fact that this uh, one meant with God's universe had never been awakening in them is something the reason why they drank. The fact it was at last awakened is almost always the reason why they were restored to the good and simple ways of life. Stand with them when the meeting is over and listen as they say the Our Father. They have found a power greater than themselves which they diligently serve, and that gives a charm that never was elsewhere on land and sea. It makes you know that God himself is really charming because the AA people reflect his mercy and his forgiveness. This is by Fulton Arsler, O-U-R-S-L-E-R. Our first story is out of the grapevine, March 1964. It's called My Father's Legacy. I had a wonderful father. I was his only child. In 1907, my father sent for me and said, I'm going to die and I nothing to leave you you got to get on into the world and make your own living how are you going to do it you're not you're nothing much to look at never will be you're no name you haven't any money but i'm going to leave you a legacy it's three simple rules if you follow them the world will be your oyster first never be afraid of the day People are more afraid of they than anything else in the world. Strong generals with great armies will face courageously the most outrageous foes, yet be terrified of what they might say, they might do, they mightn't like. The second rule, he said, is even more important, never collect inanimate objects. You can't do it, for they collect you. So I thought the more you own, the more you are possessed. Therefore, I own nothing except absolute essentials. I own nothing except absolute essentials. I've been free as air and it's wonderful. And the third one, which suited me rather well was, 
Always laugh at yourself first. Everybody has a ridiculous sight and the whole world loves to laugh at somebody else. You do the laughing at yourself first and their laughter falls off as harmlessly as you were in golden armor. Anonymous. Beautiful, beautiful reading. Our next reading is by Steps on Fire from The Grapevine, April 2007. Last March, I was driving, smoking a cigarette and talking to my sponsor on speakerphone. I like to multitask. We were discussing the fact that I had not yet started working on the steps. I chucked my cigar out the window, closed it and continued the conversation. 30 seconds later, I smelled what I thought was a house on fire. Little did I know, but the fire was not outside. It was under my seat. Soon I saw a slow column of smoke rise between the two front seats. My sponsor rambled on about the steps. I interrupted him and said, I think I'm on fire. Great, he said. It's about time you had a fire under your butt. No, I really do. My car's on fire, I said. Pull over and put it out, he instructed. With what? My eyes were drawn to the cup of coffee left over from my AA meeting the night before. I grabbed it, poured it on where I thought the fire was, and started to laugh. Fire out, I thought. I began thinking this was some kind of sign. My sponsor yelled for me to get into the back seat and make sure the fire was out. What I found next was chilling. Papers were still burning under my seat. Among them was the pamphlet about the 12 steps that my sponsor had given me a few weeks before. I said, the steps are burning, <laughs> squelching the rest of the fire. I rescued the pamphlet. It was a little burnt, but it had survived. You better believe they're burning, he said. He told me that I had just been abruptly visited by a higher power. You think, I asked. It only took me a nanosecond to believe that this was clearly a sign from above. Then I drove home still shaken by the experience. My higher power happened to come in the form of a cup of AA coffee. If I keep him close, he will be there to put out the fire. For me, there are no coincidences. There is a reason for everything, since AA is my higher power. God, as I understand it, is always with me in the car. I looked at the cup of coffee and smiled. But to this day, while I usually have a cup of coffee with me in the car, I keep a fire extinguisher in the truck. trunk. Christ. Chris M. Our next story is Cake Without Punch. Cake with Punch from Dear Grapevine, April 2009. In May, I moved to South Philadelphia, August 22nd. I was planning to celebrate 28 years of sobriety by telling my story at my meeting. I saw it was an opportunity to get better acquainted. I wanted to make a good impression, so I ordered a big, beautiful cake. Imagine my surprise when, as the cake was being cut, someone said, 
I smell rum. Sure enough, the bottom layer was soaked with rum. The baker hadn't told me. Of course, we were all shocked. Me the most. And then came the laughter. I recognized my higher power's humor in this. Once again, he brought my ego down to the right size as only he can. And C from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Amen. And with that, we'll close with this statement, anonymous from March 2008. There are just two things an alcoholic doesn't like. The way things are and change. Thank you very much. I've been reading from Happy, Joyous, and Free, The Lighter Side of Sobriety, AA Grapevine Book. Welcome to today's reading from the Grapevine, 2017, December. Orange is his new insanity. Orange is the new insanity. A newcomer scrubs her way through the first three steps and scrubs and scrubs and scrubs. She goes on to say, When I walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had no idea my life was about to change. I knew that I felt unhappy and that I drank too much and too often and for the wrong reasons. But I was not ready to admit I was an alcoholic. I heard something that first day, though. Those people, those AAers, made me a promise. They said, if you come to meetings and just not drink, your life will get better. If you come to these meetings and just not drink, your life will get better. Even though I didn't grasp the significance of that suggestion, I did hear it, and it, it didn't scare me away. Despite myself, I decided to give it a whirl. I stopped drinking and started going to meetings. Days without a drink turned into weeks without a drink. Weeks turned into months in what felt like the blink of an eye. I had a full year of continuous sobriety. The promise I heard that first day had come true. My life was better. I even saw a glimpse of eternal peace. It wasn't all fun and games, though. Throughout the first year, I had plenty of problems in my day-to-day -day life. Whenever I felt desperate to solve those problems, I asked my sponsor and my friends for help. Work the steps, they would say. What do the steps have to do with the things in my life that are making me feel crazy? I would answer, I know... Now that I am powerless over alcohol, but what does that have to do with my living problems? Then one day when I was nine months sober, I was cleaning my bathtub with a certain brand of bathroom cleaner. It was the same product that I had used to clean my bathtub for eight years without ever having a problem. This time, though, it turned the whole tub a rust-colored orange. I tried repeatedly to remove the stain, but it wouldn't budge. I scrubbed, I used bleach, nothing helped. My tub was orange. Finally, out of desperation, I called the customer service number on the back of the bottle. The lady who answered told me that the tub must be old and porous. Said, she said not to use the cleaner on the tub again, and that if I did, the same thing would happen. 
She suggested that I buy another type of cleaner and told me how to apply it to my stained tub. I follow her instructions and voila, the stain disappeared. When it came time to clean my bathroom again, I picked up the old bottle of tub cleaner and told myself that it wouldn't happen again. I went about cleaning my tub just as I had before. As you might expect, the, the results were the same. It turned orange. I used the same remedy I had used before and it worked again to clean it. The third time around, I decided to change my approach. Instead of spraying the entire tub with my old cleaner, I lightly sprayed it on a few selected spots. What do you think happened? Those spots turned orange. At this point, the message sank in. I got it. I really couldn't use that cleaner on that bathtub or it will turn orange. I recall the definition of insanity that I have heard many times in AA. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and each time expecting different results. Then another realization hit me and it hit me pretty hard. I had been doing the same thing with my oldest son that I had been doing with my tub. I had been protecting and rescuing him by paying his bills, covering for him, bailing him out of trouble. I had done this over and over again, each time expecting different results, expecting him to change his behavior. My newly discovered insight, though certainly not earth-shattering to a normal person, made a huge impact on me. My old bathroom cleaner will not work on my tub just because I kept trying to make it work. My son will not change his behavior just because I keep trying the same method to make him see the light. I left the orange spots in my tub for two whole weeks to remind me of my insanity. Then I cleaned it and never used that cleaner again. During this time period of my life, I was dating a man who didn't love me the way I wanted him to. To punish him for that, I ended the relationship. Then to see if he had learned his lesson, I took him back. When I saw that he still didn't love me the way I wanted, I ended the relationship again. Then, to see if he had changed, I took him back, only to later end the relationship again. Well, you get the picture. Then a new man came into my life, and as soon as he did, that first man who had cycled back into my life suddenly loved me to death, and even though a part of me relished the tussle between these two men to win my heart, another part of me felt bewildered. I liked the new man a lot, but I felt tremendously bound to the first man through the history of our struggle to create and maintain a relationship. I let the confusion build and build until one night it all came crashing down on me. I didn't know what to do. I felt desperate and feared for my sobriety and my sanity. I called everyone that I knew in AA, but I didn't find anyone at home. I started dialing the numbers of AA members I didn't even know. Finally, I found another alcoholic to talk to. After I blurted out my story, she asked me that same question that AAs always seem to ask at just the right moment. Have you worked this through your steps? What? 
Have you worked this through your steps? Now, completely at my wit's end, I yelled into the phone, What in the world do these men have to do with alcohol? These men are my problem, not alcohol. Very kindly, she replied, Dear you, as powerless over these men and your life is unmanageable, that is step one. Now go work the steps two and three and then take the action in step four through nine. Then you will have your solution. I was not convinced, but because I felt desperate, I was willing. I walked into my bedroom, sat on my bed, and said to myself, Okay, step two, promise me a return to sanity. And step three, encourage me to turn my will and life over to God. Once I got that far, I decided that what I needed to do was ask God to give me the answer to the question that was making me feel insane. So I prayed, God, what do you want me to do? Which band do I choose? I waited and waited and I waited some more and then I heard it loud and clear. Orange tub. Huh. Feeling confused and impatient, I sprang to the window and yelled at God. What does my tub have to do with these men? Suddenly it hit me. I kept using my old cleaner on my bathtub even after it stained the tub just like I kept my rescuing behavior with my son. I had been doing the same thing with the first man over and over again, each time expecting different results. My pattern of starting and stopping and starting and stopping the relationship represented my insanity. I had to let him go. Months later, as my relationship with the new man began to bloom, I felt that God had indeed restored me to sanity, at least in this aspect of my life, and I felt tremendously grateful. I finally understood what it meant to work the steps in all my affairs. More importantly, I learned to listen to God, whom I have come to believe is deep within. I kept practicing what I had learned and my life kept getting better. Then one day the thought popped into my head that I wanted a copy of the label of my old bathtub cleaner to remind me how God had worked in my life. I picked up the phone and called the company customer service number. <clears throat> a woman named Marianne answered. I asked her if she could mail me a new label. She asked me if it was for a school project. I told her no and explained that it was, it was a long story. She asked me to tell her about it, so I did. I told her the whole story. Marianne listened. She listened patiently while I told her about the orange tub, my son, my relationship with the two men, and my insight into my insanity. I shared with her about my recovery and how I had learned to work through these particular problems with the steps. When I finally finished my story, she said something that brought chills to my skin and tears to my eyes. She said, Vicki, my name is Marianne and I am an alcoholic. I've been asking God for help all morning. I'll be darned if he didn't bring me to you. It was at that moment that I knew there are no mistakes in God's world. As she promised she would, Marianne sent me several different labels. I immediately framed my favorite one and hung it in a special place in my home. 
Today, whenever the frame label catches my eye, I recall what I learned through that orange bathtub, and I think of God and Marianne, and I smile. This is from Vicki M. from Huntsville, Alabama. Thank you, Vicki, for the effort and the strong emphasis on working the steps on our problems. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Have a great day, family. God builds a positive force of good in your life and outlook no matter what. There's something in the air that needs to be addressed with thanksgiving and that's the wisdom of God because it is continually helping us, restoring us, fixing us. We are just and brave men when we do that and thank God and thank the unseen that keeps helping us. It helps us to be restored, full of hope again, faith, belief, and trust. We believe now and we maintain in everything and everyone, in all situations. We, we maintain because the power of good are, is helping us. And all we had to do was thank God of our bad situations. Reading from the Grapevine, December 2017, a clear sign, spiritual awakening category. This is sent to us by Pat S. from Minden, Nevada. I believe in miracles, not coincidence, but it wasn't always been that way. Allow me to elaborate. One day before I quit drinking, I held a loaded revolver to my head. But before I could pull the trigger, I passed out. That moment is what finally brought me through the doors of AA. When I came to, I literally got on my knees to beg a higher power I had abandoned years earlier. God, please help me, I prayed. He did. Within a few weeks, I was sober member of AA. That was a miracle. The same God allows me to laugh at myself today even when relating such stories. Recently, I shared my loaded revolver incident with a fellow recovered alcoholic who broke into laughter. Let me tell you what brought me into AA, he said. I thought there was nothing that could save me, so I closed the garage door, started the car, and waited for the fumes to take me out of my misery. The car ran out of gas. We both laughed. God had given us both the gift of sobriety and the gift of laughter. I'm convinced beyond any doubt that God had something else planned for us both. Perhaps spiritual experiences are also miracles. Again, I am convinced. Just a few years ago, I had an incident that shook me to the core. At that time, I did not believe in spiritual experiences. One day, I was riding my motorcycle home right behind a big truck. All of a sudden, I had a thought, call it a vision, that something fell from the truck directly in the path of my two-wheeler. Ridiculous, I said out loud. 
For some unknown reason, however, I took note of traffic around me and what escape route I would take. Then it happened. The truck's rear door sprang open and a huge four-foot piece of lumber bounced out on, onto the highway pavement directly in my path. I was traveling about 65 miles but managed to veer into the lane the moments that moments earlier I had seen was devoid of other traffic. I missed certain death by no less than a foot. Disaster was averted. Literally out of breath, I pulled over to the shoulder to collect myself. I was visibly shaken, not so much by what had just happened, but because I had actually envisioned it before it took place. Coincidence? Not sure. Miracle, maybe. I don't share this story very often because I think people will scoff. After all, not everybody believes in miracles. I do. I've been sober for 34 years. Now that's a real miracle. From Thank you, Pat S. from Minden, Nevada. I'm a truck driver too, and I had certain uh, situations like that happen. I had a, I had a premonition when I was going through the uh, Feather River, Northern California, delivering up to uh, a little small town for a grocery store, and I was going through this beautiful winding river right alongside of the river, the Feather River, Northern California. And I'm looking at it, it's just pristine, you know, the sun's coming up, the water's so beautiful, and the pine trees and the mountains, and I'm thinking, and then a thought came to me, you know, there's probably another truck driver coming from the other side, and he's probably doing the same thing, taking in the views and everything, and he's going around the corner, if he takes a long turn, he'll hit me, you know, the, it was one lane highway going one way, two lane highway. And, um, and sure enough, I decided on this one turn to eat about three feet of the, you know, and use the, uh, the, the outside of the lane as I made that real sharp turn. And sure enough, man, here comes a truck and the guy's looking and he, he stepped about three feet into my lane, which would have smashed me head on on my face. And, and he just jumped up surprised and he was a gold lucky fella. I smiled and I said, I got you covered. I knew you were, you know, you were coming. And mind you, there was not a lot of trucks in there. I have gotten those, and that's one as a truck driver. Uh, a lot of times, you know the Fernando alcoholic? You know, I always say that uh, evil has wisdom it inspires you to do wrong for instance have you ever been at a stop sign and that evil tells you to floor it or to floor it right when the light is about to turn green just to peel out and you see a and you wait a minute you get that inspiration to to floor it that's the evil inspiration and then a car speedily tries to make his his thing and he kind of runs the red light he would have smashed you. That happens a lot. But the, now we have a defense in AA. We have a defense against the first drink. We have a defense against the first evil thought. Any evil thought that lands on my head, I'm not responsible for. Because I could say cancel, cancel, cancel to it. 
and if it continues to bother me, I use the name of my higher power, and I kind of, if he keeps bugging me, I'll say, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus Christ, and I sandwich it, I, I corner it with the name of Jesus, and it, and it tends to back off and get out of my head. And resentment, it keeps reoccurring resentment. It took a lot of failure to find that little trick. All right, I'm moving over to the old timer's corner. This one's called New Tricks. Right? Early morning group in Massachusetts teaches an old timer that it's never too late to learn. Even though I've been sober for more than four decades, I'm still learning. In, in split my time between Mohawk, New York, and Provincetown, Massachusetts. This summer, while attending my summertime morning AA group in Provincetown, I had several revelations I'd like to share. Our group meets seven days a week at 7 a.m. Each day is a different type of a meeting. At our big book meeting, the chairman decided to read all the appendixes and prefaces. I hadn't read them in years. I had simply read and reread the first 164 pages. But during our meetings, I learned that there was great information and value in those parts I hadn't read before. Appendix 2 talks about the major spiritual transformation that we must have. My neighbor's putting her trash cans away. Huh. Appendix 2 talks about the major spiritual transformation that we must have. It helps the members who think that they have to have a spiritual experience, like Bill did, with brilliant light and rushing wind. It also helps other members of the group who do not believe in the stained glass religion. They can find comfort in the words here. The silkworm prefaces state several things that I find interesting. First, it says that Dr. Silkworth was a psychiatrist and an expert in alcoholism as well as drug addiction. I have heard so many people ask, where is drug addiction mentioned in the big book? Well, actually, it's right there in the beginning. A little later in our reading, we got to Bill's story in a section I have read many, many times. I noticed how Evie took Bill through the steps while he was in the hospital. They did not proceed one step per month or even one per year. Bill even shows how to get guidance from God on the last pages of Into Action. God always sneaks new stuff into the big book on me. One Sunday, we have our spiritual meeting. The leader for this meeting read about someone who talks with a special friend who always listens and never interrupts, even when the person goes on and on. The friend even gives some advice, of course, the friends is God. Again, the leader for this meeting reads about someone who talks with a special friend who always listens and never interrupts, even when the person goes on and on. The friend even gives some advice. Of course, the friend is God. Even though I am a believer and I pray and meditate most mornings, I started to get uncomfortable as we went around the room 
One beginner shared that she's afraid to drive. Her sponsor suggests that she asks God to be in the car before she even gets in. Another person stated that he asked his higher power to be with him all day. Another person told about how he asked God for direction all day and also asked to be awake to moments when God inspired him. I, w I then realized that never in 40 years of sobriety have I asked God to be with me all day. I also never asked to realize that a particular thought was insp inspiring or God-inspired. As, as a direct result of this morning's meeting, I change how I pray each day. Lastly, I heard at our tradition meeting from a man with many years, his sponsor took him through the traditions as well as the steps. His sponsor told him, we have to live the traditions in our daily lives as well. I now have a tradition sponsor who we go through the traditions once one a month. Personally, I was trained to listen, to hear what the client wanted and to read back what I heard. As a sponsor and a sponsee, I also learned to listen. Unfortunately, I haven't been doing that at home. I discovered that when I am asked the same question multiple times and I give the same answer each time, I, re I get really angry. So this not-so-old dog now says, What did you hear me say? Instead, sure makes life a lot easier. What did you hear me say? The look. This old dog learned a lot of new tricks this summer of my morning meeting. This old dog learned a lot of new tricks this summer at my morning meeting. Guess if I want to keep growing, I'll have to keep coming back. Thank you, John L. from Provincetown, Provincetown Massachusetts. Thank you.
All right, we're going to be reading an article from A.A. Grapevine, September 1972. It cost 35 cents for the the article way back then. And it's, uh, I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help. I want the hand of A.A. always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. Carrying the message. AAs all over the world share their thoughts with the grapevine and AA General Service Office writes, P.O. Box 1980, New York, New York. The Uses of Pain. This is our article, The Uses of Pain, from Brighton, Colorado. In my drinking days, I actually welcomed my pain. Ah, yes, each throw of my aching skull those fantastic thirst, the stomach cramps, the sweats, the tremors, my hair hurt, my toenails hurt, my eyes and my teeth hurt. What didn't? Yet, as time passed, the physical hangovers and the physical torture no longer blotted out my mental anguish, my guilt, and my self-loathing. Insanity was no longer just a probability, but a certain. Certainly, I could not retain a thought or idea longer than one sentence. I could not remember what I had done, had not done, or should do, drinking or not. Those paranoid ideas of being persecuted, talked about, censored, and shunned seem absolutely true. I actually fancied I was more sane drinking than when I was hungover. Weren't people nicer? Wasn't I wittier and my conversation more inspiring? Then the morning after, I realized I was nuttier than a warehouse full of goobers. A glimmer of sanity must have remained because I did face this observation openly I also realized I could do nothing about it by myself. I had tried, prayed, pray, not me, but I do remember thinking, my God, what am I going to do? And while I was sanely loaded, I dialed AA. I like to think that in my agony, unsound of mind as I was, I called out for help in spite of myself. I got out of my own way, and so God was able to send an angel from AA to help me. Of course, I find it hurts now to fall down sober, but I don't feel guilty about that pain anymore. MU, initials MU. Wonderful, wonderful, terrific uh, reading, writing, uh, truth. Uh, reality. Our next letter is from DS, initials DS from Winewook, Oklahoma. It says, good credit risk. 
My credit has never been good, but it's better than it was three years ago. The grapevine is an inspiration to me. The extra four copies I buy to give away. I'm 32 years old and have a paper route. My day starts at 4.30 in the mo- each morning and ends at 10.30 at night. I go to college, commute 100 miles per day, five days a week, and spend my off time with my w- the wife and the five kids and cat and geese and horses and calves and cows and guinea pigs and my garden. Then I get to go around the state when, I, when asked and participate in AA groups and I also have a couple of babies. Now I have you all. I have God in AA. Please trust me. Remember, this is a letter sent to the grapevine. And don't, please don't stop my grapevine. You'll get paid. I just spent 475 for my car engine. Just had to come first this time. I'm sorry. P.S. I need the last yellow grapevines. Five copies, please. From DS. Wow. I always say that there's a lot of uh, living legends in AA. You hear about them. We have uh, Raquel, a Hispanic lady that has two or three uh, halfway house for pregnant girls. Get them off the street. She's an AA and she's like, like a normal person. Shares, laughs, and and uh, is in meetings. I didn't know that about her. Another guy, uh, Carl M., uh, a former Navy guy. They, the, a lot of guys hate him. And a lot of guys love him. Uh, he's a living legend to me. Anyone that that helps other people and takes the risk and puts his has the guts to put his his signature on the thing and have a a very risky place where people kill themselves, kill others, and helping them out to stay and confronts them. That's a living legend to me. To do to do what needs to be done. Other people that I met that uh, has started uh, great projects. How about a, a retirement compound up, up in uh, Joshua Tree for old AAers that can't afford it? Get them off the street. Give them some good. Come on now. A lot we can do anonymously, and we do. There's. Three million of us that are AA members, the state's over. And about 15 million of us have come and gone through AA and have gotten their heads straight and doing other things like yoga, reading, um, you know, just like uh, binge drinkers that have waken up and done great things. Okay, our next story is, was I strong enough? This one's from Manhattan, New York. The initials are D-O-C. Remember, this is 1972. Was I strong enough? Four months after discovering the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous in the New Jersey Shore area, I was transferred to a small station in North Africa. I left with mixed emotions, to say the least. The compulsion to drink had been left outside the doors of my first AA meeting, but... Was I strong enough to leave the mainstream of AA and be able to continue this day su- daily success that had immediately transformed my life into such a wonderful experience? 
like on other overseas tours, would my first official act be the purchase of as much almost free booze as my ration card would allow, starting the descent towards the end of the assignment? I sincerely felt that I had learned enough about my disease and the people in AA had done a thorough enough job of indoctrinating me that I would be able to resist temptation. I believe in the teachings of AA with an honesty and sincerity I thought I was no longer capable of understanding, let alone possessing. Since my arrival six months ago, the desire had been periodically surfacing, but their immediate dismissal is a snap and indeed a pure joy. This, I am sure, is due to the increasing number of 24 periods of sobriety. I was strong enough and I am getting stronger. AA is my strength. My life here has surpassed the most optimistic expectations. There were a couple of the old gang here and they are still amazed by what they see or don't see happening. The fact that my reputation had preceded me became apparent and it was certainly a pleasure to see. The skeptical expressions of those around me changed to manifestations of trust and confidence. There is an AA loner here, and he's a real winner with many years of sobriety, and he provides the mature leadership so important to those of us that are new in AA. I try to follow the steps of sobriety that he has so greatly revered, because I know that my strengthening sobriety will, in turn, strengthen this. This loner and the letters I receive from my AA sponsor is the good old USA. Put me back in, into AA at its strongest. I truly miss all the wonderful AAs that share their experience, strength, and hope with me and made all this possible. I know that the best way for me to thank them and help myself is to stay away from the first drink. Thanks, everyone. DOC. Staying away from the first drink. Beautiful, wonderful. Our other story is from Richie C. from Walpole, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Second time around, called. There were many people in the program who told me that if I went out of prison and picked up a drink, things would get worse. I had reservations about this. Within three weeks after I was paroled from the state prison, I had picked up that fatal first drink. For about two weeks, everything was fine. Then it happened. Things got worse. I experienced two blackouts and had a parole violation warrant. And my sister asked me to leave the home she had provided for me. So there I stood in a blizzard. No home, no clothes, no money, thinking, wouldn't it be grand if it were summertime? At least then I could sleep in the park. I ran into a friend and I stayed at his place. There I... I start, started in on drugs, and finally I got arrested. I was brought back to prison and have been here almost nine months. The first thing I did was get back in the program. My first time around, I had learned an awful lot about AA, but now I have to apply it to myself. 
I've been very successful thus far in clearing up the things inside me that barred me from success in AA on the streets. Hate, hidden resentment, etc. Now I feel the kind of sobriety some of the old timers have. Peace of mind, sobriety. Life is much sweeter, even though I am in prison the second time around. Richie C., thank you, thank you, thank you, Richie. Outstanding literature writing. Thank you so much. I'm sure he's out now and, and doing the deal, making coffee at meetings. Our next story is called Sowing and Reaping from Media, Pennsylvania. Today I can face daily problems with faith, no doubt. Needs can be met instead of existing to intimidate me or harass me. Many a need that I mark unmeetable has since then been met. Problems are real, challenges, they do exist. When one gets solved, another follows. But I don't have to withdraw from living problems anymore. I don't have to drink anymore. At last, I have stopped running. Many rewards have come to me through AA living, one day at a time. I learned there is nothing so terrible that I can't cope with for one day. Reality with clarity is glorious. One of my greatest rewards is my husband has had 18 months of sobriety because of the AA program. Our life together is beautiful. Everyday living is a challenge and I like it. It isn't easy, but I like it. To me, AA is like sowing and reaping. My higher power multiplies what I give, like the farmer who plants seed in order not to harvest weeds. I find that the seeds multiply to as far greater return than the amount planted. I strongly believe that only what I give to AA can my higher power multiply for me. Woohoo! What a story. This is from BJA. Hit it out of the park. Awesome. Why do I have to talk? I can continue to read these and and we all can get blessed by passing the message. That's what the article, the whole gamut's about. It's carrying the message. Not the mess, the message. All right, we got two more stories. Thank you for hanging in there. Hanging tough. Hang tough with me. The real side benefits. This is from Norwood, Ohio, RS initials. I have been in this wonderful program for six months. I have tried to stick with the winners and work the program the way they suggest. So far, with the grace of God, it's kept me sober. When I came into the program, I used AA as my higher power. Right away, I was looking for all of the side benefits, such as as a new car, maybe a new home. Lots of money, of course, in the bank. I didn't realize at the time that all these were just material things. It took my seven-year-old daughter to show me what the side benefits were really like, the kind that you can't buy that comes from the heart and the love that comes with them. These are the things that a check can buy no matter how many numbers you put on it. She had also helped me find my true higher power, which I call God. 
There is no way in the world I can put into words the way she did this. So I am closing a letter she wrote to AA, and this letter tells the way I feel too. R.S. And the kid writes, To AA, I love AA. It helped my dad very much from Tamela. Tamela. That's it. Amen. And our last note here is making full use of time from Jacksonville, Florida. BHC. Anyway, that's a, a wonderful writing about the things, the benefits of AA. One of the benefits that I benefit from, or the main benefit, was laughter and humor in AA. And I had assault, uh, acid, and uh, and and coming out of the side of my eyes my first year of AA because the roaring laughter was my new medicine in AA. Thanks to all the guys that creatively talked about their escapades. And literally, I sounded like I was roaring on the floor, but it was good. It was really good. Thank you, God, for giving me exactly what I needed. Our next story is from Jacksonville, Florida. Making Full Use of Time by BHC Initials. Life can be full of meaning because of the way in which I spend this time. So I try to be tolerant now, to be forgiving now, to be happy now. Let's go over that list again. Life can be full of meaning because of the way in which I spend this time. So I try to be tolerant now, to be forgiving now, to be happier, happy now. I must be interested in having not my own way, but the best way, <clears throat> the good way. I must budget my time so that I may walk from night into day. This I can do by being a, of service to others, by doing things for others. And in fact, by living each day to the fullest. BHC. Wonderful, beautiful. Our article is called Carrying the Message. 1972 Grapevine. September. Hit it out of the park. Thank you, Grapevine. I have a story. Uh... It's really an interesting story. There was a 1967 copy of A.A. Grapevine. I picked up that grapevine in East Yolo Fellowship in West Sacramento, where they had, somebody had turned in hundreds of grapevines, their whole collection from the 50s all the way to the uh, 90s, or something like that. It had an incredible amount of, and they, uh, I grabbed a couple, and one of them was a 1967 September article. And I drove down two hours down to Tracy uh, area, Tracy, California, by Brentwood and Antioch, Pittsburgh, California, off of Highway 4. I was in an AA meeting and I was sharing and I was using the copy how I, I found an article in there that I loved and enjoyed very much. And I was waving it around and a guy in a motorcycle asked me for the for the copy. 
He won at my 1967 September. And I said, sure, he's a good guy. He was in service. You know, there's plenty of articles here, plenty of, uh, if you want it, plenty of uh, reading material. I gave it to him. Now, this is a true story, guys. You're going to think I'm lying. I went to another hour and three quarters further south to Highway 99 to Turlock, California, and seven in the morning uh, by Delhi, where my son has a house that AA helped me get the job, and, and, and I helped my son get the job, and God got him a job. And he's there 20, 25 years later, and he bought a house and the whole bit and four kids. I stayed overnight, but in the morning I got up and I went to the AA local meeting. And I'm sitting there at the desk, and there's a few grapevines on the table. You know, some were upside down, so I put my finger. I said, I'm going to get the bottom one of this grapevine. You guessed it, folks. September 1967 grapevine. Now, that is... Too much of a coincidence. As a matter of fact, I, I have it in my library here, which I have about a hundred grapevines. So I'll have to find it and read you the whole gamut so I won't miss out on anything. Let's pray. Third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, of thy love, of thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. And God's will for me is to carry the message. Thank you very much. This incident for me happened uh, within the last six, seven years. Thank you. And it's 2021 right now. (laughs) Right now. Not later. Right now.